There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. We're broadcasting from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. It's questions from the audience today at the ballpark. I love what's happening with questions from the audience because we have so many questions today. I'm going to attempt to answer every single one of them. But I mean, whereas in the past there have been episodes where I've gone with like one question and then we've done a deep dive, uh, there were so many that I'm going to attempt to answer every single one of them, both email and Facebook, and uh, and hopefully that then leads to more questions. I enjoy questions from the audience. I don't know if we get to, uh, like Gangster Pete in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios is a big Joe Rogan fan, and uh, I was aware of Joe Rogan, of course, listened, maybe I listened to the wrong episode, and I'm like, ah, that's not really my thing, and then I bailed on it, and then I've been getting back into it now. Um and it seems like he churns out Gangster Pete. I'm gonna I'm gonna tag you in here. Uh, d- does he do five episodes a week? It seems like he might be doing more than that. Sometimes no, it seems it, like he is. It's there's not a set schedule. It just kind of yeah. goes when he wants to go. You know. So some weeks he'll have a lot more. Some weeks he might not get one at all. He'll usually let you know on Twitter if he's doing one live, and it'll be on the next day. So yeah, what do you have? Jack Dorsey of Twitter on. Uh, and then I guess the interview didn't go really well, and he was in his or he was getting a lot of criticism for it. I haven't listened. I did listen to Bill Simmons with Jack Dorsey, but I saw Rogan said he was getting criticism for not asking about censorship, in particular uh, left wing or right wing groups that have been censored, and so people were mad at him about that. And then Dorsey said he'd come back in and do it, and so they're doing it again. Is that correct? Yeah, he just didn't go in hard enough on some of those topics, and so you agreed with that criticism. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a pretty bland episode. It wasn't that exciting. Really? Yeah. And See, I, th- I really enjoyed the Bill... Si- did you listen to the Bill Simmons interview with No, him? I did not. I enjoyed that interview, but maybe some people would have thought that were, were bland, or maybe the expectations for Rogan are higher. I don't know. So well, I, maybe I need to listen Rogan to that. Rogan himself, he admitted that he probably should have gone in a little more, and he's ready to do it again. So Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. So any, the reason I bring up Rogan is this... Um, and maybe it might be conv- – I'm, I'm, I'm ready in this QFTA to bear a, a portion of my soul, I think. The issue is my one-year-old will probably be running around in the background inevitably. And so while bearing my soul, you'll perhaps hear the reason why I'm bearing my soul is my one-year-old. That's probably uh, cause and effect, I suppose, um, because I know some of the questions go in that direction from reading some of the emails – and uh, and so I feel like in a way it's I think there's like I don't know like twenty some odd questions um, and I just want to answer them all but uh, but I feel like I could do an episode on each one of them and then I go God that's a lot but then I think okay Rogan's doing that now Rogan has been doing this for years he has a huge following he does an incredible job and a lot of are all of his episodes guest related as a loyal Joe Rogan listener gangster Pete yeah. They are okay. He's a guest on, and and t- and I guess he does it out of L.A. I, I assume. Yeah, that's he, the case. he built his own studio. It's got like a gym and like an area where he can shoot bow and arrows, all kinds of stuff. It's yeah, I cool. mean, so so in that sense, this is different. Now we do have one guest 
per week. And uh, while I am in Jupiter, Florida over the next couple of months, my hope is to get uh, cardinal interviews, hopefully some non-cardinal interviews, but baseball related, and then also some golf interviews. I mentioned on TMA that uh, I went up to PGA National yesterday and I, I walked past Justin Thomas and I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. They were doing the Honda Classic Media Day. And uh, and I was not aware of that. And had I been, I know I could have gotten 15 minutes with him. So I'm hoping to get him. But I don't know how realistic it is. We've reached out to Jack Nicholas. You know, all these people live in this area. And so I'd love to do that. But getting interviews is not an easy thing to do. Um, we've done it. We, we I, I, God, I wonder how long we're at at this point. We've got to be around like 70 weeks, 72 weeks since we started and every week we've had a guest, uh, and I think we've had two two-part interviews, um, and one was with Young Page Hughes of Barstool, and that was just because we went three hours, and like we got to chop this up. And the other one was for the week of Christmas, but Gabe DeArmond and I did one that was kind of Mizzou-oriented, and then we kind of got into our relationship from being at the University of Missouri Journalism School, and that was the week in between Christmas and New Year's. Um, so anyway, we're doing it, and we have Bob Nation, the Chesterfield mayor, on talking about the merger this week. And uh, I know we have David Eckstein, uh, which I recorded last week, and we have Jay Williamson, uh, the professional golfer from St. Louis, and I'm hoping to have more and more interviews as we do this down here. But just interviews, that's not, uh, you know, and it's a, it's, a, it's a big project. And for Rogan, I'm sure he has a bunch of people working on it, and they line him up and all of that, and he's based in L.A., so anyway, I'd like to do more. I love just sitting here and kind of wandering uh, with thought with the audience. And based on the number of questions that have come in this week, uh, that's the direction we can go. So Gangster Pete, I might tap into you here. Maybe we'll bring you in more. I know that's not what you necessarily signed up for. If you're uncomfortable with it, just text me and we'll act like it never happened. Joe Rogan has young Jamie. I'll be your young Jamie. Now, what's young Jamie's story? That's his producer. He just kind of comes in here and there. What do you think of young Jamie? Do you like him? Do you dislike him? Yeah, he's a cool guy. Okay, all right. So you're comfortable being young Jamie? Sure. All right, good. Well, because I want to bounce, because if it's my voice, I mean, my God, like an hour and a half of a monologue got to be uh, grueling, especially with all of these questions. And some of them are not necessarily specific to me, but I saw they got kind of going on the fan page um, with a couple of the topics, and I liked it actually made me made me think. So anyway... I don't know, maybe we'll wind up doing more of these, or I'll just take topics that people email in about, and then they wind up becoming sods. I just know that there's no way in the world we could ever do like five interviews a week. I mean, that's impossible, and that's why when I see Rogan doing that, I'm just like, tip my cap, you know, outside of the fact that he's built this huge thing um, to be able to do that. And then it's compelling, and they're in so many different areas. I just have a great deal of respect for that, Much, and that's just talking about the programming side, not even getting into the business side of it. Um, but I enjoy talking and I just got done doing three hours of TMA, but I still am looking forward to talking more. And I've been looking forward to doing this episode, like I said, because so many questions came in, you can email in questions. And as, as I do every week, I encourage, I ask, ask something that you think is like the most vile thing or something that you think is going to piss me off, whatever, because each question, it's like the Bill Walsh coaching tree. You can trace back coaches coaching now to Bill Walsh in San Francisco. So what we'll talk about today will probably uh, be like the great grandson of uh, question from November. It's weird how it works, but I like that. And so I always look forward to recording these. And I love the fact that the audience is getting more involved because after all, it is questions from the audience. The HomeLoanExpert.com studios is where we broadcast from Ryan Kelly. 
our sponsor of the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, online at the HomeLoanExpert.com. We've been doing business with Ryan for a long time, and I know that he's a really good guy, but the most important thing, if you heard him on the show, is that he knows his business and he can save you money. I mean, hey, listen, there's plenty of nice people who start up businesses, but then they don't succeed, and I'm not going to send you to them. But with Ryan, not only do I know that he's going to save you money and it's going to be an efficient process, whether you're buying a home or you're refinancing, I also know that he is a first-class person, and so it's easy for me to recommend him to you, the audience. He is the sponsor of our studios. So if you're going to be buying a home or refinancing, make sure you go online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Now, while we are in uh, Jupiter, Florida, uh, Dan McLaughlin and I of the Hot Stove Show will be uh, doing two shows per week uh, live on uh, Facebook and on Twitter like we have been doing throughout the course of the offseason. Still, I mean, when we, were, when we were deciding to do this, Dan and I were like, man, with Harper and Machado going and then thinking free agency is going to be crazy, we got to start up the show in November. That was the reason. Uh, and, and I'm sitting here recording this on February 6th, and neither one have been signed, uh, much less some big-name big, big name pitchers, uh, whether it be Keuchel, Kimbrell, take your pick, still just kind of out there blowing in the wind. It's bizarre. I mean, we'll, we'll be at Jupiter, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, 10 minutes from the Cardinals complex. Matt Carpenter just arrived yesterday. I would imagine a bunch of them will be arriving here in the next couple of days. I saw Colton Wong and Paul DeYoung and Miles Michaelis there last week. And these guys still aren't signed. Um, but anyway, that's the reason why we, Dan and I decided to do the show earlier than spring training. And one of the things that when we were meeting with our sponsors was we wanted to say, hey, you know, one of the best experiences for car- a Cardinal fan is to come down to spring training. I know for my mom, for example, she always said when we were growing up, I just want to go to spring training one time. And I also think for a lot of people, and if I'm trying to put myself in, in their perspective, uh, there are a couple things, probably more than a couple, but a couple that stand out to me that factor in to making you go, yeah, it'd be nice to get out of St. Louis and go to some warm weather when it's freezing in St. Louis and then also be around baseball. And if you love golf, you have incredible golf courses. If, if you want to bring your significant other uh, at PGA National, they have a world-class spa. And so what we have done in working with one of our sponsors, Mattress Direct, we have a spring training giveaway. And we are announcing it today, and, uh, and I would love to uh, meet one of our loyal listeners and viewers of our show, The Hot Stove Show, with Dan McLaughlin and myself, presented by Mattress Direct, down at spring training, and you can do so with two of the major concerns immediately mitigated. One, cost. Two, knowing what's going on in the area and how to get around and all of that stuff, because we will have uh, much of that taken care of for you because Dan and I have both been coming to Jupiter, Florida since 1998. So here is how you can win. It's a trip to spring training, you and a guest, from March 7th to March 10th, staying at PGA National, and uh, we'll get you Cardinal tickets for their game against the Astros at Roger Dean Stadium in Jupiter on March 9th. And for the record, PGA National, I would say, is about, if I were to be real specific, depending on lights you hit, uh, either 10 minutes to 12 minutes away from PGA National. So it's not like you're driving an hour or anything like that. Uh, Here is how you do it. Uh, Starting today, February 6th through February 18th, with us announcing the winner, I guess Mattress Direct is going to have a drawing on February 20th. Uh, Listeners can participate by 
uh, visiting a Mattress Direct store to earn entries to the giveaway. And each entry form represents one entry. That's six entries per page. For example, if a customer buys a pillow, they'll fill out two entries to be entered into the drawing. If, the, if they buy a pillow and a mattress, they fill out seven entries. Uh, pillow sizing equals one entry. P- purchase a pillow, you get two entries per pillow purchased. And you purchase a mattress, you get five entries per mattress purchased. In other words, it's kind of like the NBA lottery. The worse your record, the better your chances are. Well, with this, uh, you're going to have more entries the more you do at Mattress Direct. In addition, to qualify for the prize, the customer must perform Twitter requirements. Follow Mattress Direct at STL Mattress. That's STL Mattress. Tweet about their experience. Include Mattress Direct Twitter handle at STL Mattress and include the hashtag sleep rules. All right, so there it is again. Follow Mattress Direct at STL Mattress. Tweet about your experience. Include Mattress Direct Twitter handle at STL Mattress and include the hashtag sleep rules. The winner will be drawn from the store that generates the most entries on February 20th. All requirements must be met to win. And if your name is drawn, you and a guest get to hang out in Jupiter, Florida uh, from March 7th through March 10th at PGA National. Cardinal tickets on March 9th. And uh, if you're a golfer, this is paradise. And if you are just wanting to get away, it's also paradise. So there it is. It's our spring training giveaway here uh, with Inside STL and also with uh, Dan McLaughlin and myself on the Hot Stove Show. So there it is. There is the knowledge. Get in when you can. If you were looking for a mattress, this is the perfect time to do it because now you could wind up with a, a trip that's worth a good amount of money down to Jupiter, Florida for Cardinal Spring Training. So there it is. That is a big announcement here on the Tim McKernan Show today. And Dan McLaughlin and I will certainly be talking about it as well uh, with our live shows from Jupiter, Florida. So with that all established, let's dig in for questions from the audience and take a look. And I'm telling you, uh, I think we're in the 20-ish question range this time, and I'm going to attempt to answer all of them and also be relatively speaking brief because otherwise this would be a nine-hour podcast. I can be uh, a little loquacious. All right. I don't, I've read them, but, I, but I, 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 I don't recognize them by name, so I pull them up. And uh, unless you want your full name out there, I just kind of give the first name at this point. Uh, some people specifically don't want their name. I digress. Tim, I was listening to the Roderick segment and started thinking about the anonymous vote in Houston, the NFL, for Rams relocation and how infuriating that was, which then took me to an interesting thought regarding the current political block voting trend where some might have to vote with their party, even if they disagree, for fear of losing support from their congressional peers and or special interests. Why? Because it's not anonymous. And while an anonymous vote sucked for St. Louis, it could be effective in politics. Wanted to see what you thought about what an anonymous congressional voting system might bear on all levels, federal, state, and local. Uh, Thanks. That comes from Greg. I think if you're just asking it without really digging into it, you go, oh, yeah, maybe that would be the solution. Because at this point, I think so many people are just looking for a solution. They would take anything. But part of the way in which people are elected is the policy uh, that they espouse. And for it to be mysterious um, and therefore not accountable to their constituents, um, it, I just I don't believe that it I don't a I don't believe it's the right thing and b I don't believe it's pragmatic in, in an actual form of an execution of the strategy. So uh, to compare whether it be federal 
you know, state, local um, government officials to what took place with 32 billionaires in a room in which they're trying to protect their interest and extract the most profit from the process as possible. I understand the thought process. I'm not ch- I don't think I'll chastise any questions, actually. Um, so there's another challenge to the listeners to try and get me to chastise a question. Uh, I'll probably just not read it. But in this case, uh, I don't think it's apples to oranges. So I understand the thought process. I just don't think it's apples to oranges, and therefore I don't think you would ever see it, nor do I really think it would work because the, the representatives have to be accountable uh, to the people who, who vote them in. Uh, hey, Tim. Hope you're enjoying South Florida. It is the best down here. Oh, we have a resident. I had a follow-up to the Rams discussion on your most qu- recent questions from the audience. See, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, the previous episode leads to new questions. You mentioned that privately Kevin Demoff had told you that if the Rams were not interested in staying in St. Louis, he wasn't sure why the task force was continuing to go about their business. Maybe I'm reading too much between the lines here. But does that mean that they would have tried to move to a different market like London if the Carson project had been picked? I suppose it's all hindsight and irrelevant, but I'm still not over what happened. I really do miss having a team to follow. I tried to invest some fandom in the Dolphins, but I just couldn't make myself care. That comes from AJ from Delray Beach. Um, So uh, I want to clear something up. I saw Derek Gould doing this in his chat this week, and uh, I thought it was good that he did this because oftentimes – questions are asked and you see the word seems or seemed or appears or appeared. And in other words, it's somebody, um, you know, reading between the lines, which is, you know, intuition and you may be correct on it, but that does not make it fact. And then what they do, and it's, it's not like people are doing this maliciously, but I see this going on. I feel like it's going on more now, but that's probably because of all the the content that's there to be consumed, especially with interaction with people who are not uh, at least supposed to be held to the same standards as journalists, although that's a totally separate conversation as to whether or not that's going on much anymore. But uh, along those lines of you build a supposition and then off that supposition, which is, you know, a seems or appears to be, uh, it somehow becomes a truth, and then the question is based on that. So in Derek Gould's chat, I saw something along the lines of the Cardinals have said that they would be willing to wait out Bryce Harper, and then if the market falls back, they'd be interested. And Derek Gould, to his credit, and he is certainly a journalist, uh, said something along the lines of, you know, let's let's go through this question line by line. He goes, the Cardinals have never said that. And that's that, that immediately kind of blows up the question uh, because the Cardinals did not say that. People who report on the Cardinals, who are close to the Cardinals, have said that. I have... Two people who come to mind who I know who've told me that, and I don't question their credibility in the slightest. I don't know if they've done it publicly, so I don't want to give their names because it might have just been an off-the-air conversation I was having with them. But I can corroborate that firsthand, but it doesn't mean that the John Mazalock or Bill DeWitt's on the record with that. So with that all said, why does that tie into this question? Because um, the, the, the question says, you mentioned that privately Kevin had told you that if the Rams were not interested in staying in St. Louis, he wasn't sure why the task force was continuing to go about their business. That's There's some truth to that, but that's not entirely accurate. Um, his premise was that Dave Peacock knew, uh, and therefore the others associated with the task force, but I recall him specifically saying Dave, who he knows, uh, knew that 
this thing was already way down the line and there was nothing that could be done to turn it around um, locally. Now, if the NFL would have voted otherwise, that's different. But locally, uh, that he really didn't know if Dave's in- intentions and the task force intentions was to try and get the Raiders um, or another team. And, he, and I specifically remember I said something about the Chargers and he goes, yeah, he goes, I mean, Dean's pretty much entrenched in San Diego. And he goes, most people spend all their lives trying to go from wherever they are to San Diego, not the other way around. Um, it, and, and that just stood out to me. It wasn't like some, you know, glorious quote or anything. It was just us BSing. But, um, but my, my premise being in answering the question that it's not like he said they're moving either way. That's not what it was his thing was the task force got involved and when the task force was formed things had already moved down the line so far that he was wondering what the angle was there um i do remember that so your question just to clear the record off there uh maybe i'm reading too much between the lines here which i tip my cap for you acknowledging but does that mean that they would have tried to move to a different market like london if the carson project had been picked now that's a good that there I think is a fair question and honestly it's not something I've really thought about because I felt like it was going to be LA and it was just the way it was going to be and that was kind of that although I don't want to sit here and say that on the day of the vote I didn't have hope uh, or on the other side of things that I didn't uh, you know didn't think there was a chance that they would pick the Chargers and, and Raiders um, but I. I will say that it, I had certainly been led to believe that uh, it was going to be the Rams and Chargers before the vote. So that does not that that part did not surprise me. It was a way to appease in some capacity Dean Spanos and uh, still get Cronky in there where he could privately fund the whole thing. But let's just play this hand out for the hell of it. Uh, had they voted on. Uh, the Chargers and Raiders, meaning the Rams would have come back to St. Louis, would that have mean? Would have that have meant that's it? And I actually agree with where you're coming from. Now I don't know if it would have been London because I think that's a much bigger, 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 bigger question than moving in one of the four U.S. Uh, mainland time zones. But I don't think that had they just um, given it to the Chargers and Raiders, that that meant that Stan Kroenke was going to be a uh, long-term St. Louisan, and that they would have taken the $400 million if the $400 million was really there, and, uh, and and we would have lived happily ever after. So I understand what you're asking, and I think it's a great question, um, that, that essentially that didn't mean, that vote that day didn't mean the Rams stay in St. Louis. It would have been a temporary stay of execution, but I actually agree with that premise that the, one of the things that was going on, I think we talked about it to an extent, and I didn't have the podcast then. Uh, man, I could have could have really gone into it deeper while it was going on then. Um, but we did talk about it on TMA, uh, is is a thought process that somehow Kroenke would take ownership of another team and then, you know, Spanos or Davis or something like that would take ownership of the Rams. Again, this, this isn't like a question that was talked about, uh, you know, like publicly, but these are the things that were going on behind the scenes as far as discussions go, and um, you know, with with reporters, not necessarily with ownership. But I agree with the premise that just because the Chargers and Raiders would have won something that maybe they'd never even had a chance at winning, which is kind of what I think uh, was the real situation, 
Um, that does not mean that the Rams were then locked into St. Louis and had to have taken the $400 million. They still had the out in the lease. And that's the thing. You know, for, and I, listen, I was watching the Rams and the Saints specifically because I feel like that's where the Rams season really ended. And I was watching the Rams and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And I was all in, more than I even expected, on wanting to see the Rams lose that Saints game. So when it popped up in the Super Bowl, I knew where I was going to be. And I, it's the, the first time since the Rams played um, in 2000 that I was watching the Super Bowl on television, because I was at the one in 2002, where I was that emotionally invested. Um, so I wanted to see them lose, like I would imagine 95-plus percent of St. Louisans did as well. But whenever I have this discussion... It's important to note that St. Louis has a lot of blood on its hands with this situation. And and that gets me into, you know, something that I've observed, and I don't know if there's a question on this as well, but I felt like it was going to come up. And that is, and it's a, it's a difficult spot to talk about it, but I just kind of see it happening, and I don't know if it's going on in local markets across the country or not. I'd love it if this, like, led to more discussion, kind of like what I said about the Bill Walsh coaching tree, if this would lead to more emails and we could kind of delve into it. But it's, I feel like it's worse than what I thought it was when Joe Strauss passed away. Um, And that is kind of like what you've seen happen with political coverage, bubbles. And I feel like the St. Louis sports media bubble is becoming more um, cheerleader. Cheerleader isn't the right word. I know a lot of people would use that word. I know people use the word soft, but I, 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 I value even if somebody's opinion is one thing as a writer or a reporter or a talk show host to get the other side. And to not do the work of the team, and I don't like—I don't like—I sh- like to strike, do the work of the team. That—that that isn't fair. That's too strong. That's not what I mean. Um, but th- but that's but but to go back to to Strauss, and I think Strauss's behavior on Twitter would then do damage to the credibility of what he would write in the post dispatch, where I think he was just trying to stir the pot on Twitter. He took his columns very seriously and and he and he would dissent but and this is important he would also take a line that might be uh, approved so to speak by the average St. Louis fan if that's what he thought and if that's what he thought the information deserved and I really don't know where you find that all that often now in the market, and I'm not talking about specific to the posts, but I'm talking just about across the board. I mean, I, I, I talk about our own our own show, and, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it. So this isn't like me pointing the fingers and saying, "Look, I'm above it all." Um, that that's not that's not it. It's just my observation. Because with Strauss in particular, I felt like it was coming from a place of he truly felt that way, and he and, the, and to his credit. Even though he had a hard exterior and a soft interior, which he would never want people to know as far as the way he carried himself uh, when it was just one-on-one, um, he, I, I really don't think he cared if people liked a column or didn't like a column. And that's, and that's huge. Um, and so in a way, I feel like since I'm seeing this happen, like, like one of the things I use as an example 
And again, and it's not, it's, it's, I'm so, I'm so careful that because I'm, it's not some kind of media wars or radio wars thing at all. Because, I mean, for, first off, I mean, really across the board in St. Louis, um, I mean, I could rattle off the names. And while I might not know some as well as others, I mean, you're talking about, for the most part, a really good group of people, a quality group of people. So it's not like I'm like, oh, I don't like this person. This is my way to take a shot. Like I said, I got to look in the mirror. I got to look in the mirror. But I see these things happening, and it's like, okay, like like this morning before the show, I went over and I, I worked out at the gym, and you know, sometimes, especially in Florida, in a conservative area, as you can imagine, it's not like MSNBC is popping up on the television, so Fox and Friends is on. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, I mean, and I'm sure some of you are listening, like, what's wrong with Fox and Friends? Uh, but if I said Rachel Maddow is on there, you'd go, what the fuck's Rachel Maddow on? So let's, let's be consistent. I wouldn't watch Ra- Rachel Maddow either, even though I know she's on at night. My point is, I'm just like, Ugh, I already know what's coming. I don't want. I don't even want to. I don't even want to see it. I just rather like you're playing NBA highlights of like a Bucks and Nuggets game than than that be on and it would even enter in my mind in the morning. Um, so it's it, it's like it's like a, the the bubbles, and I think the bubbles are dangerous. I think the bubbles are dangerous big time in politics, but I think most people know they are what they are. But I think the bubbles are dangerous in general. And what I think I see happening in St. Louis sports with social media, it's like when the Blues score a goal, it's like there's 10 or 15 people who are like cheering about it on social media. I'm just like, what in the world? I mean, it's great. Listen, I'm happy they scored a goal as well, but I don't know. I, I, here's the other I don't know if it goes on in other markets, but I saw a reporter, I believe as columnist in San Francisco, um, who, you know, how the, the New Orleans Times-Picune, the morning after the Super Bowl, tweeted out um, the cover of their paper and how it was being celebrated. And the paper's cover was, it was just like a big white blank with, the f- with large font that said, Super Bowl, what Super Bowl? Which was a way to, you know, play to the readership of the New Orleans Times-Picune in, you know, Louisiana, who are furious about the no call in the NFC Championship game. And this writer, I think it was Henry Shulman, I think, and I could be wrong, and I don't want to mess it up. Uh, I could totally be messing up. But either way, I wanted to, to name the, the person who I think I saw posted. And he said, I realize, you know, that, that many may share this opinion, but it's not the journalist's job, or the newspaper in this case's job, to... To, to play into the kind of TMZ headline of the market as a journalist, as a journalism, you know, platform. And I, I, I saw, the, I saw the, the, that cover, and I, I thought it was amusing, but then I took a step back. I go, yeah, you know what? Actually, that's right. And 15 or 20 years ago, would you have seen that? Probably not, even though it's pretty benign. And so... It gets back into, it's like people go, where do I, I've, I've said this, I've said this on this show a number of times, where do you go to find, if you're talking broadcast content, um, a coverage of political happenings where you feel like you're you're not getting the anchor's kind of cutesy condescension, condescension um, or, you know, or some bottled up story to advance a particular political party's agenda and or a political viewpoint on that spectrum 
So, you know, for somebody who would be conservative but not pro-Donald Trump or something along those lines. So not just all Republican or all Democrat. And honestly, I don't know. As weird as it sounds, and I know this is going to sound super weird, but it, it really did happen. Um, that just it was like late at night, relatively speaking. Um, and I had the TV on here, and I guess it had to have been Monday because they were doing this stuff with the uh, Super Bowl, and it was Inside Edition. So you're talking Deborah Norville, you know, and hosting Inside. Good, good for her. I mean, I'm sure she's doing quite well with it, whatever. And it's obviously not my bag, but it was on. I just didn't bother changing the channel. And, uh, and I haven't seen Inside Edition in years. I didn't even know it was still on. And I can't recall what the topic was, but I believe it had something to do, if I'm not mistaken, with President Trump. And it was a tag, which is a term used for after they run a story, uh, you know, like a minute and a half reporter story, and then the anchor's back up on camera, and they tag the story with like a 10 to 15 second line of some kind. And uh, and and she and I believe it was about President Trump and, and tying into the Super Bowl, and I don't really know how. Maybe he called Robert Kraft or Brady or Belichick. I have no idea. The point is she delivered it in such a news worthy way and again this is inside edition talking about president trump and listen i've I've said it before and it's like oh why even bother saying it but i'm on the record he's just not not for me and i can't imagine a scenario in 2020 where i would cast my vote for him i realize plenty of you especially since we're talking a lot of people living in missouri and southern illinois are fans of his and i'm not i'm not looking to litigate president trump here i'm just telling you for me not for me uh but but, but but the reason I bring it up is I liked the fact that she just delivered the line and it was it was read like a news anchor used to read the news and I, and I and it and it and it caught me and again this is inside fucking edition on a Super Bowl story and I and I remember thinking right as I heard her say it I'm like my god that was like nostalgia and it was because it was read in a way that didn't have any, like, well, President Trump, like this moron who's in the White House, or, and President Trump made sure to congratulate everyone for wearing a flag pin or standing up for the flag or said this is further proof of America, making America great or something where you just, you know what I'm talking about. I know you know what I'm talking about. And it was like, it was just like delivered, a tag, and then she looked down, the graphic over her shoulder changed, and it was on to the next story. And I'm like, wow. It can be done. It can be done. And the reason I think about that with regard to this discussion of sports media bubbles is I think it's healthy. And I know it can be done, but I think the reason it's not being done is because it's not as profitable to do it that way. So it's chicken and egg. I mean, I I can rattle off dozens of names from the left or the right that immediately will trigger a number of people, doesn't matter if they're on the left or the right, when I name a reporter, a talk show host, or a news anchor, a host of a show on cable news or even network news. Um, But if I were to name somebody who some perceive as down the middle, you probably don't know who that is, which then lends itself to the discussion that it is actually more profitable for an entity and in the better interest of one's career to take a side, and even if deep down you're like, I know I'm spewing bullshit, but it's going to make me more money, then that's the play. 
And this is with political coverage I'm talking about. So along those lines, taking it back to St. Louis and local sports or taking it to the New Orleans Times-Picune's headline, um, you know, Strauss, there's some revisionist history on Strauss, I think, that now that he's passed, he's held in a higher esteem by some who hated him or were very critical of him while he was doing what he was doing. And the reason why, listen, it, 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 that's why I always use the term with Joe Strauss, credible dissenter, credible dissenter. You know, you can get a blog or you can just do the song and dance where you cheer against the St. Louis teams so you know it's going to give better content or that thing. And I just don't think that's where he was. He just pointed some things out that very few people or no one else in the market was pointing out. And it would be unpopular because for the most part, many of the people who do shows in St. Louis, myself included, have either been here for a very long time or grew up here. And therefore, they are fans. And so it leads to a bubble. And if the marketplace comes to expect that when somebody steps outside of the bubble and delivers news that is contrarian, even if they truly feel that way, they are condemned. And then it is not necessarily as good for their career or for an entity. It's fucked up, but I'm telling you that's what goes on, in my opinion. Uh, Now, no one ever, whether it be at KMOV, KFNS, whatever the case might be in my career, has ever said that to me. So it's not like I think these are edicts from on high. I'm more talking about social media now. Um, and I know some people are like, oh, I'm sure rights holders have to do this and that. And I just, I, you know, I think that they are welcome to be critical. I truly do. I think there's a difference between professional criticism and, and how it is handled versus personal. I don't think personal is welcome. I wouldn't want personal on our show or on my podcast. Um, but professional criticism uh so I, 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 could, I could be wrong on this, but it, it, the, the bigger picture to the question that was asked is, you know, how much more could the media have done in St. Louis from take your pick of whatever date you want to start? I know on TMA it started in January of 2012, the day Jeff Fisher was hired and the last time Stan Kroenke had a press conference. But you can go back before that um, to, to kind of go, OK, what did we do? You know, and it's not our job to carry the water for the task force. Uh, I've told the story before. I'll tell it again. It really was eye-opening. I was really uncomfortable with it. I thought it was wrong in a major way, and it made me wonder about the whole process. When we on TMA were going to have a representative, a state representative, if I'm not mistaken, might have been a state senator, um who, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was a chairman of one of the committees in Jefferson City uh, and was anti-St. Louis spending money to build the stadium and the state support. And we were going to have him on as a guest, which, I mean, a big fucking deal, you know? Of course, As far as I'm concerned, we should. If he's willing to come on, we should hear his perspective. And there was someone associated with the task force, not one of the people out front, who said, you're going to have a tough time getting Dave Peacock to come on this show now, not because Dave said that, Dave probably wasn't even aware of it, if you're going to have this guest on. And I'm just like, wow, man, that's the game you're going to play? And fortunately for our show, I don't even remember the last time we had a guest on. It doesn't matter. We don't give a shit. We, we, we riff for three hours, so it's not like, oh my God, if we don't have a guest in this hour, what are we going to do? I, I, I get irritated when we do have a guest that, that doesn't fit into the show. So, it's like, okay, you're threatening us with something that is immaterial to our to our model, but wow, I can't believe, and you put that in an email. 
you know? I mean, that's that didn't go anywhere. That wasn't like a verbal thing. That, so, and, and it's not like that's like the only time that kind of stuff happens. It's just eye-opening that I know it does happen, and then that is the way that the public gets information, and I know behind the scenes that things are shifty, but then people believe what they read in the newspaper, read online, or read... Um, you know, or here, I should say, or view on television, because historically, it's been accurate, or at least we've thought it is. And now I'm on the other side of it. I'm going, oh, man, some of the stuff that people think I know isn't true. And so, I don't know, kind of a, you know, like I said at the outset of this, it's like I'm digging in and going, what do I want to do? Because I think there's probably more money for me if I were to play to one of these things or if I were to do this stuff or, you know, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to do it. You know, I don't want to do it because it's dishonest. It's disingenuous, you know, and uh, it, it just, it, and I also want to make it clear. I don't think that, that, that the people who are peers in the media, and again, this isn't local uh, or limited to local, I should say, I don't think people are like going, ooh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make more money at all. I think so much of the currency, even though it isn't necessarily actual currency, um, comes in 2019 and over the last X amount of years in the form of likes and retweets and followers on social media. Whereas I can assure you, I have never received uh, a dollar in compensation from a parent company because of how many followers I have. At this point, I, I think I'm t- I've tweeted le- less in the last year than in the previous nine years I've had a Twitter account, mainly because it's like, there's just no upside. That's that, that's how I view it. Now, maybe I'll change my mind, but I'm like, oh, I see his career was destroyed this week. Oh, her career was destroyed this week. Oh, this led to this person getting attacked by this group because of a tweet. I'm just like, what? what's the point? But at the same time, I love having discussions with people, especially people who are coming at it from a different perspective. But seeing people's careers being destroyed by it, that's the thing that that I'm not interested in participating in. So going back to what the question was that got this tangent going, um, I think there were some things that were expected to be true that weren't necessarily true. Specifically, what was at the nucleus of your email, AJ and Delray, and that is, would Kroenke have moved elsewhere had he not gotten L.A.? And now that you ask that question, my answer is, I think you're right. I think he would have. Now, the issue is, would he have not been able to move to L.A. because the NFL would have said you have not met the relocation guidelines because St. Louis has built a stadium that would be in the top 25, so therefore the lease is valid. You can't just pick up and move. That changes it. But assuming that that stadium would not have been one of the top, one of the top eight stadiums, that's the math in the NFL, uh, and I would be surprised if it would have been, even if it would have been brand new, um, I would I would think he probably still would have moved. I really do. I don't think he was giving up that franchise. So, uh, very good question. And I said I was going to try and be brief this time. And look, I just gave like a 50-minute answer to a question. So I could continue on. Uh, let's see what we got here. Hey, Tim, we emailed back and forth about the Mizzou Tudor stuff in November. Uh, as I, Chris, I appreciate the email. I don't recall the email, but I, I don't have any reason to believe you are making that up. I asked the question as to whether anyone has explored the idea that the Tudor allegations and potential penalties had anything to do with the Odom and Anderson coaching searches. Now that the shit's hit the fan, do you think it puts those respective coaching searches in a different light? While the penalties are are absurd, I still wonder if Mizzou suspected something like this might happen. 
The suspected penalties, now a reality, would further degrade jobs that were already not great at the time of the coaching searches. It's a good question. Uh, Gangster Pete, I'm going to actually bring you in here as what, young Jamie? Uh, That's right. Because I know you are uh, as big of a Missouri fan as I am. I know you're a bigger Missouri fan. The timeline on the basketball hire of Kim Anderson I don't think checks out because the Tudor thing came after that. Am I'm I not correct? as good as dates as you are, but I think everyone was pretty shocked when this came down. I don't think anyone expected it to be what it is. This severe, yeah. First off, I agree with that just in general. But but to to say, it's like, okay, let's play it back and see if Kim Anderson was hired because of this. I don't think it matches up from a timeline thing. No, I don't think so. But I don't know that, in, in fairness. Um, if this were, uh, you know, the radio program, I would have researched this in advance, knowing we were going to talk about it. But I don't think so. Because what, what year was he hired? Was it 13 or 14? He was a coach in 14, 15, 16, I think. I don't know. Am I missing something here? Yeah, I think so. 14, 15, 16? Or 15, 16, 17? Because Akonzo was there in 18. Either way. 14. Okay, so I don't, I, I don't think that the, I don't think that applies there, and I don't think it applies with Odom. I suppose it could. I can't totally dis, discard it, but who was going to come to Missouri a couple of weeks after what happened with Jonathan Butler and the hunger strike? So anytime the anti Barry Odom stuff is, is going on. Okay, it's fine, and I think I, th- I think it's a valid conversation, and I know. Uh, Pete, you're a big fan, and I'm not looking to litigate Barry Odom's career at this point. What I am looking to litigate is the circumstances around the program at the time of the hiring. And uh, first off, Barry Odom's star was rising. And secondly, who that was a proven coach was going to come to Columbia, Missouri at that time and take that on, considering what had gone on. This wasn't coming there in in December of 2007 or December of 2013 or even 2008 or 2014 or 2010. Take your pick. This was this was a mess, a major mess. So I don't care if it's an SEC school. So I think considering the circumstances, Barry Odom was a great hire at that time because I don't know who else they would have gotten. And it's not like he wasn't going to get a head coaching job soon as it was. And furthermore, as I always say regarding Barry Odom, if he is able to really get it going in Columbia, and what has happened now with the recent sanctions will make it even more difficult if those are not reversed um, in the appeals process. It's in the best interest of the University of Missouri because, like Pinkle, even though he wasn't a Missouri guy, he was a Washington guy, um, mainly as a coach, Kent State guy as a player, uh, he's a guy who, if he has success at Missouri, I don't see going anywhere. And I think there's I think there's a lot of value in that because usually if you're a Missouri caliber program at this moment and you get Missouri to say the college football playoff or you can get Missouri to a to you know the Fiesta or Sugar or, you know Orange Bowl, there's a good chance that other schools in the blue blood category are going to overpay and go we got to go get X Y or Z coach that did that. You saw that with Pinkle in Michigan, for example. And you just happened to be knocking on the door of a guy who just didn't want to move. Um, and so I think that's in the best interest of Missouri. So I think, I think it's a good question. I just don't think the timeline checks out on basketball. Maybe I'm wrong. 
Um, I don't think that was the reason, but the, I, the basketball one I would believe more if the timeline checked out than the football one. The football one, I feel like the answer is right there in front of us with what was going on in November 2015. Hey, uh, before we go to more questions, we have to make sure we let you know about Mark Hanna and Evergreen Wealth Strategies. I love talking about Mark Hanna and Evergreen Wealth Strategies because I know I'm recommending to our audience somebody who is going to help our audience, especially at this time of year. I've been talking about one of our sponsors and the work you can do to help you with your finances, and this is the time of year that those lovely tax forms start coming in. Mark Hanna reminded me that last year, the government passed a tax law that lowered taxes for most people to some of the lowest taxes We've ever seen, but the W-2s and 1099s are coming in. So think about how much of what we make goes to paying taxes. Taxes are already one of the biggest expenses that most people ever pay. Do you ever think about what might happen if taxes go up? This is a great time to look ahead to the future and come up with a strategy. Mark Hanna with Evergreen Wealth Strategies helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. Call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Or go online at evergreenstl.com. It's Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. In addition to that, Mark, uh, I've got some knowledge here that I think is uh, really helpful, kind of drives home the point. I really recommend him. I, it's like I want to take people and go, hey, you really ought to do this. It'll be so helpful. I'm so much better organized. Uh, and that's such a huge part of it. So uh, the benefits of working with a financial advisor. You like data, here's some data for you. Uh, financial outcomes, higher balances. Someone who worked with a financial professional. Their median account balance is 40000 Uh Someone who did not work with a financial professional. Median account balance is 21,000. With regard to uh, investing behaviors, contribute more and earlier. Ooh, that that hits home for me. Uh, Worked with a financial professional, uh, $5,016 is the mean annual contribution. Did not work with a financial professional, $3,372 the mean annual contribution. 24% of those who worked with a financial professional increased their contributions 24% more frequently than those who did not. And it's because you're working with a financial advisor. And we're not talking about, hey, let's buy you some penny stocks with the, the wolf of Wall Street. It's just organizing it. In, and I'm God, now I'm doing it. And it's so it's another personal aside. But like for I don't even know how long, probably a decade, I've been putting together monthly budgets for my, you know, for whether it be inside STL or now DMTM with Dan McLaughlin, whatever the case might be. Uh, and And I'm sitting there going, why didn't I do that personally? And again, I'm 42, man. So, you know, this is this like, oh, yeah, I was 17, so I didn't know better. This is, And now that I'm doing it, and I'm going, oh, wow, I used to spend this much money doing this stupid stuff. That was really dumb. It's just so helpful. I can't recommend Mark enough. 314-889-0503. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Go online um, and check him out, evergreenstl.com. I really recommend him in a major way. 314-889-0503, especially at tax season. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. All right, let me let me peer into the Facebook questions, and I'll go back and forth here. Got to go on the TMA fan page. That can always be a distraction. Hey, you ought to join in. 6,874 members have done so. They're active members, too. A lot of people just read it and don't post. But 6,874 real people, TMA fan page on uh, on Facebook. Um, and uh, and QFTA is uh, is where you can go search questions from the audience, and you can see what the, uh, the word is and pose your questions. 
And one of these I really, really like because it made me really, really think, and it was, what is your favorite season of a team you followed, but the season didn't result in a championship? And Gangster Pete, for me, I'm sure there are others when I dig into it, but the, the one that came to mind right away was the 2007 Missouri football season. That was first on my list. All right. Because, and I realize a lot of people listening, not a lot, but a, a healthy percentage, unlike when we're talking Cardinals or Blues, um, you know, we're not Missouri fans. They're Illinois fans or a different college fan or just aren't into college sports, whatever the case might be. But as a Missouri fan, still, I think the moment that will always stand out to me most from that whole year was walking out of Arrowhead Stadium after Missouri had beaten Kansas and hearing fans chanting, we're number one which is something that, you know, that, 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 that wasn't even on the radar. Like, listen, I, th- I think there are so many similarities with uh, Missouri fans, whether it be football or basketball, and Blues fans. And I'm sure some of them really don't want to hear that, but I really believe it to be the case. And I think the main reason for that similarity is tortured fan bases with, like, first off, no championships, but secondly... Um, some moments that you can just say to another fan and they know exactly where they are when it happened. And so for a Missouri football fan, the idea of Missouri being number one in the country and college football's number ones are usually the equivalent of somebody from the South side becoming a member at St. Louis Country Club. It's just not the way that it works. In the NFL, you can go from 3-13 and 13 to Super Bowl champions, as we saw in St. Louis 19 years ago. Uh, baseball has a cycle of teams. I mean, I think the only two teams that haven't been to the playoffs since 2000. Uh, no, that, that wouldn't be right. I was going to say the two the, the two longest teams that haven't been to the playoffs are the Mariners and Marlins, but the Mariners are 0-1, and the Marlins won the World Series in 0-3. So, I don't know. I guess everybody's been there since. But in college football, I mean, you can kind of name the 10 schools that are going to be there and not even know what their rosters or coaches are, and you're going to probably hit. So for that that moment, how big of a surprise it was. And then the other thing for me, Pete, first off, the way they did it, it was so much, it was kind of Rams-esque, not as high octane. But secondly, and I, I'm, proud of, I'm proud of this as well, uh, whereas I always talk about TMA being on the Rams moving way before anybody else in radio in St. Louis, uh, but that the morning of the show the Monday after Missouri lost to Oklahoma. I wrote about it on InsideSTL.com, and I talked about it on the morning after, uh, which at that point was only a month old with the uh, with Doug as a co-host. Uh, I said, I know this sounds ridiculous, but Missouri fans need to cheer for Kansas because Kansas was undefeated because I'm looking at Missouri's schedule, and I'm looking at Kansas's schedule, and I'm looking at how well Missouri played Oklahoma. This was fresh off of losing in Norman. And I got to tell you something. I think there's a chance that Missouri could get to number one in the country, which is insane to think that I was thinking that way. Now, again, I'm a fan, so I'm sure some of that was colored by that. <laughs> but I just looked at the landscape, and I'm like, I don't think Kansas is going to lose. And that means they're going to be ranked really high. And if Missouri doesn't lose... You're going to have Armageddon at Arrowhead. So I coined that phrase. I don't. I didn't make a dollar off of it. I don't know if anybody did. And then sure enough, it's exactly what wound up playing out. 
And so not only did you have Missouri winning in the way they were winning, but you had Missouri against Kansas, one of the ultimate rivalries, appreciated even more on the other side of the state, for the right with LSU losing the day before, for the right to be number one in the country at that venue, too. I mean, it was... It, I, I just don't know. It's like being a Cardinal fan. It's like, yeah, it'll never get better than Game 6 of 2011. It, I just, it, it just can't. Mathematically, I just can't imagine it getting better than that. And then as a Cardinal fan, sure enough, you have Game 5 against the Nationals in 2012. It wasn't better than Game 6 of 2011 of the World Series, but it still was like something that, if you're not, like, like Gabe talks about uh, the Royals comeback against, I guess it was the A's or something, and I'm like, I don't even remember that. But, but Cardinal fans have had all these moments uh, Missouri fans had that moment, and it was about as good as it can get. And so that's what I always look back at, and it's very disappointing what happened the following week against Oklahoma. I feel like that doesn't get enough attention because they just really played a shitty game because I think they might have been better than Oklahoma, uh, whereas I don't know if they were better than Auburn. I don't think that 2013 team was as good as the 2017, even though they were both a win away from being in the national championship. Uh, that's 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 that. That to me is as as good as it is it good as good as it gets. What's your reasoning for it? Uh, well, we just kind of saw it coming too. Like we could see that that game in Kansas City was going to be huge. You could see it coming, like the potential for it to be awesome. And then it happened. My buddy and I bought tickets late. We ended up sitting in the Kansas section, so we were just getting killed the whole game. Every time we were standing up and hugging each other. And then you have that visual of Todd Riesling, Sod Riesling, yes. with that grass in his helmet. And, I mean, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Like, it was just awesome. It was. And then they were handing out those number one papers outside of the stadium afterwards. Like, you'd seen other schools do that on TV. But Mizzou, never in my lifetime. Yeah. It wasn't even something that was like, like, I remember, I've told the story about Gary Pankel asking my photographer to take his Tennessee hat off at the very first media day. Um and I remember my photographer saying, this guy, because I thought he was going to be pissed about it, and then we're driving back to St. Louis. He goes, this guy is going to win a Big 12 championship here. And I know he didn't. But but the fact that he said that Missouri could win a Big 12 championship, I'm like, okay. You know, I mean, it's just not even, it's, I don't know, take your pick of whatever doormat in the NBA, even though the NBA changes too. Doormat in college basketball. I don't know. You know. Winning, winning an NCAA tournament. It's well, just, you grow up with sixty-two nothing losses, and that's kind of yes. what you think of. And so, I mean, that that conversation happened in two thousand one, and six years later, they were number one in the country. And that's the thing about college football; it doesn't just flip. Teams just don't come out of absolutely nowhere <laughs> right. and become number one in the country. And 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 really, that's what happened. I mean, Missouri did, which is why, and hopefully, the, the appeal process works to their advantage. You know, when people were upset about them losing to Oklahoma State in the Liberty Bowl and a game they should have won, remember, in 2006, they lost to Oregon State in a game that a lot of people thought they should have won. Again, how many people were really watching the Sun Bowl? But, uh, you know, that's why when people said, oh, the Liberty Bowl, this is going to hang with them. I'm like, okay, the Sun Bowl didn't hang with them in, in 20, you know, 2006 into 2007. So, you know, as far as non-Missouri uh, the 85 Cardinals, although it's tough to remember that as well, just because I was only eight. But I love that baseball team. I love that style of baseball. Uh, I know I've had conversations with guys on that team that say that team was the best of the three teams that went to the World Series in that decade. I'm sure a lot of people immediately say the 2004 Cardinals. Um, that's that's an easy one. A lot of people would say the 2001 Rams. Um 94 I, it, Tigers basketball. 
That's a nice play, Gangster Pete. That's a really nice play. You couldn't even I watch was, all those games on TV. You had to listen in on the radio. It's a nice play. I was, I guess, I was a senior in high school for that. Um, and I always hate it because how many times Missouri has been to the Elite Eight three times since '94? I was at two of the games, and in all three cases, they have been in the West Regional, and they wind up kind of being this. Well, I mean, first off, you're in the West Regional, so it's just tough for people to travel. You know, you don't know. It's not like a bowl where you have a few weeks to prepare and plan it out. Um, and so the games are played, you know, neutral sites, and it's the West, so it's not like it's easy for people to get to. And they've all just kind of been blah atmospheres. And I remember watching the one in 94. They lost to Arizona, and Arkansas wound up beating Duke to win the national championship that year. But Missouri was undefeated in the Big Eight. And uh, But the atmosphere, I think it was like at the L.A. Sports Arena. It wasn't even at the Forum. The Staples Center wasn't around. It was like nothing. I mean, it was just blah. And it was like a morning game out there, you know, early afternoon in St. Louis. I was at the one in 2002 when they lost to Oklahoma, mainly because they couldn't hit free throws. And that was in San Jose. And there were more people at the Thursday night game when Missouri beat UCLA than there were when the Final Four was in line. Because you have Missouri and Oklahoma playing like 20, you know, 2,000 miles away from their campuses, uh, you know, on the West Coast. And then in 2009, I cannot believe it's going to be 10 years on that one. Wow. But in 2009, uh, they went uh, and played in Glendale, and I was at that, and they lost to UConn. And that also was like an early afternoon game. And so you just don't have great atmospheres for what's on the line, which is why when I think about Missouri-Kansas, I mean, to have it at Arrowhead, it's better than it would, if it would have been at Columbia or in Lawrence. To have it at Arrowhead, which is a great football venue, it just doesn't get any better. I think probably if I, you know, if, if I weren't, if it weren't so recent, I probably would say the '85 Cardinals. But you know, Missouri's loss to Oklahoma in the Big Twelve Championship game, relatively speaking, was painless in comparison to the '85 World Series and just how big of a cluster that situation was. So, '85 uh, World Series, '85 Cardinals, 2007. Um, Missouri football. Those are my answers. All right. Uh, let's see. We got more in here, and I said I was going to answer them all, and I'm I'm going to have to be more brief. This may have already been asked, but it seems like most of you do not listen to the show when you aren't on. Seems like the norm for most entertainment hosts, but a somewhat interesting phenomenon. Uh, and that's just kind of a statement, but I guess the question, I don't know what the question is. I suppose I'll attempt to create one. Uh, I can speak for myself. I do not. Um... And I, 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 I just I can't imagine that Doug does in any circumstance. And the cat is on the road, so he's not even in the city. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to explain it. I don't. You know. I don't know. I was. I was going to draw a parallel with like Howard Stern because that's immediately where I go because of course our shows are on the same level. But uh, they don't do shows where he's not in. So you know they're always best ofs. And I think for the most part, on shows that are kind of our style, that's what they do. But because it's on a sports talk station, um, I, like I, I'd be curious. Like I don't know. I really don't know. And I know a lot of our listeners are Rizzuto listeners as well. Like if Rizzuto's on vacation, what do they do on the point? I don't know because we're on at the same time. As I always say, if high major, first of all, I like those guys, but a great deal of respect for how successful the show is. So it's not some kind of shade. Uh, actually, I could probably text him because I do text with him and just go, do you guys do best stuff? Because that's one that's like, that's kind of a similar style to our show, but our show's on a, uh, 
you know, sports talk station. So if you have something the night before, minus that week in between Christmas and New Year's, where a lot of people are off, you, you, you can't be playing a best of, or at least the feeling is you can't be playing a best of. But I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. For for me, my listing habits are so different now because of podcasts that I just, in general, rarely listen to live radio shows as it is. I'll listen to Stern. But if I see it's like, you know, Ronnie the limo driver hosts a, you know, something at some stag bar or something, I'm like, yeah, it's just not, it doesn't do it for me, so I don't listen to it. But if I see up on my, you know, car, it says, you know, so-and-so's in studio, I'm like, well, I'm going to make sure to listen to that. And then when I get a chance to work out or whatever, I'm going to make sure I podcast it because that's that's what I'm personally looking for. So that's the kind of stuff. I will sometimes podcast the cat chat. I will tell you that. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't listen. I don't think the cat or Doug does either. So I could be wrong. I don't know how to explain it, but your, your assessment, Brian is correct. Um, let's see how much did the pick six listens on the Tim McKernan show and downloads increase once the weatherman got on his heater gangster Pete. I know you take a look at our data. Did you see a tangible increase on, uh, on the pick six podcast once the weatherman went on his heater? Uh, yeah, I mean, after the first few weeks, no one was really lighting the world on fire. And then after a few more weeks, the weatherman started to build up some steam. We started tweeting it out, and then you could see the numbers increase. People wanted to check out what the weatherman was doing. And I know a lot of people I know were just like, what's the weatherman got? Like, Listen to the podcast. Yeah, I mean, he that that was the, the, the thing. Here's my prophecy for the weatherman. The chances of duplicating that. In 2019, are so slim. Right. Like if he went for me, if he went 55 percent against the spread, I'd consider that a huge success. But it's also going to be like I don't know what our record wound up being. We won our Super Bowl pick, but that was me just picking the Patriots. Um, it's around 62 and a half. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, like the chances of doing that are just so slim. So inevitably, he's now set up to be killed uh, in 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 this year. So. Uh, but yes, I, I saw that the, the numbers went up. I didn't know if you had like a specific percentage, but I remember looking and going, wow, we're getting a lot more pick six listens now. Um, let's see. Uh, what were the best and worst parts of Cardinal Fantasy Camp? I spent a lot of time on the Cardinal Fantasy Camp last week, but I said I want to ask every question. Um, uh, and then it comes from Chris. Uh, God, I, I the truth on the Cardinal Fantasy Camp is... I, the night before, I'm just like, you know, first off, my wife's parents live with us um, when we're down in Florida. And so that, and they weren't in, in town yet. And so that meant I was going to be leaving Anna Marie like for four or five days in a row with our son by herself, which isn't something I wanted to do. Um, and, uh, and then secondly, I didn't want to get hurt and... You know, while I guess for a 42-year-old in St. Louis, you know, working out and running and stuff, I'm in decent shape, comparatively speaking. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm going to not get hurt because it's a totally different style of exercise, stopping and starting and chasing after baseballs or throwing a baseball. That was the thing that I really was worried about. Uh, so that was in my mind. And then I'm like, I don't know if I really want to do this, but I said I'm going to do it. Now I can't not do it. And so I remember saying to my wife the night before, I'm like, God, I really wish we just had a few days where I didn't have to do anything. We could just hang out, just me, you, and Jameson, just not even. And the morning after the final day of the Cardinal Fantasy Camp, I woke up and I was sad. Uh, 
that I was not going to Roger Dean Stadium to do it again. Um, so I feel like that little autobiographical account drives home how much I loved it and how much I want to do it again and how much I'd love for listeners of this show and TMA to do it. And it's a weird deal. It's In a way, it's, uh, it's like what people would say about being a father. You would, I can't explain it until you experience it. And I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, when people say, oh, it goes by quickly. I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, I just, it's one of those things people say to people or it's like when somebody posts that they're, you know, whatever. I'm in, whatever, Turks and Caicos, you know, uh, has anybody ever been here? Um, you know, and it's like somebody then like just posts who you never see pop up in a thread or whatever. Like, oh, was there? Love it. You know, whatever. Just, like you just can tell it's kind of like blah vomit social media comments this is a sincere comment it was it was better than i could have ever expected and i don't know how to describe it effectively to the listener as to why it was so good um i guess one thing and this wasn't really important to me but it stood out to me was how great the players were i mean it's like they were just like and i'm talking about I'm not, I'm not talking about talent. I'm talking about behavior of former Cardinals. Like, they just couldn't have been better. And I'm sure they're told to do that. But it was done across the board so well that, you know, at first you're like, oh, this is just part of the deal so you get selected, and I'm sure they make some money to do it. And then I'm like, there's nobody around. This is just me and so-and-so, and they just couldn't be better. I mean, you know, like, like, like Ray Lankford you know, he's in the third base coaching box and I'm in the other dugout and then we wind up, I'm just wind up standing down at third base because the chance of somebody getting around on a ball and hitting it hard down the third base line are about one in a million. So we knew that was a safe spot. And he was just kind of giving me shit about not playing in the field. And I explained, you know, the reason for it that, you know, and, and he's like, oh, well, you know, and then he's just kind of giving me trouble about it. And I'm like, if there's one thing I can do, it's play defense, believe it or not. But I, since I wasn't out there doing it, I knew that he didn't you know buy it neither here nor there but it was just like a it was just like it was like two people talking which you might go well of course it is but in my experience there was always that line I'm media guy they're former player and now at this point you know they're around 50 some of the guys are older than that in Mott's case he's only 36 but you know it's just everybody's everybody's happy. I think that's probably the thing that, that I love so much. It's not like I was raking or it's not like I'm like, oh, man, I can certainly hit and play baseball. It's not, If anything, I'm like, wow, I'm amazed at how bad I am. And I'm really amazed at how guys like Ryan Franklin and Dave Veers, even though they never hit in the major league level, or if they did, it was very rare, were hitting the ball better than anybody else at the thing. Um, that was my biggest takeaway. As far as the worst thing, uh, I mean – I don't. I don't even. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what. If, I don't know what I can think of that I would say is a bad thing. Well, I mean, it, but this isn't anything that anybody could do anything about it. it just, we just had terrible weather, but that's a thing. We had terrible weather, like cold and rain. And my friends down here are like, "Sorry about the weather. We've lived down here for however many years, and we've never seen anything like this." You know, at this time of year. You know, this can happen in the summer or like September, where it just rains all the time. But this is not the way that it usually works, and so it was bad weather. But I mean, that's that's uh, you know it was two straight days of rain. Nobody can do anything about it, so it's a terrible answer. But it's but that's 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 what stands out to me. Other than that, there was just nothing bad. Uh, let's see. Um, what are the Cardinals' plans in 2020 if Goldschmidt and Ozuna decide to test free agency? I don't have. That's a good question. I don't have an answer to it. Um, I. 
Here's where I am on on Ozuna. I don't expect him to be around, and I I, I kind of never have thought him that he would be around, and I didn't even feel that way even stronger now. But maybe I'm wrong on Goldschmidt. I'm confused by what I feel like. Like if I put this on Twitter, and usually I'll get a few thousand votes. Would you like to see the Cardinals sign a a five year? I don't even know what a good dollar figure would be, Gangster Pete. A five-year extension for Goldschmidt, what do you think would be a good number? 125 million? A good realistic number. 120? Okay. I was going to say 125, so we're in the ballpark. Uh, I, I wouldn't be excited about that. And I feel like I'm in a major minority on that. But I feel like he's on the decline. Now, the numbers don't necessarily show that in a major way, but he is going to be 32 at the time of the extension. I just, that's not the way the game is played now. Um, and so I don't, I don't, I don't share that enthusiasm. Now, if they are to do it, it's not like I'm going to be angry about it or go, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. Like I felt like the Dexter Fowler thing was going to be. Um, but I just, I'm, 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 here's what I am. My official position is I'm confused by the enthusiasm for the, from many in the fan base to see the Cardinals sign Paul Goldschmidt to an extension. That's, that's, I, I just don't get it. And it's not like, like if it were a three-year extension, I'd be like, great. But if you're Paul Goldschmidt, like, why would you do that? But I just don't get that. And then I also don't get if the Cardinals really, really do want to do it, why, they're not. I'm. I'm legit. I, but 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 here's the thing. Now I'm going to do the thing that I chastised uh, earlier in the show. Build a premise off of a supposition, and the supposition being that the Cardinals are not in on Bryce Harper, or that they are not in on Manny Machado. And I think I am. When it really gets down to it, uh, in the camp of I'm not sold that they're not in on those players. Uh, and I and I and I might be wrong. I know a lot of you are going. You're absolutely wrong. But that's that's where I am. I mean, specifically Harper. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, who would who could have possibly guess that on February sixth they'd both be unsigned? So this thing, and then like the White Sox and the Padres are supposedly two of the leading contenders. I mean, it just doesn't. So I don't know. But but the reason I bring those names up is, okay, you sign them to a 10-year deal, well, you're going to have them for years that you're going to have Paul Goldschmidt for. Now, I realize if you extend it over 10 years, uh, you're bringing in more variance for health, and Harper has played the game really hard to the point that they've had to ask him to you know, settle down, and Machado is the opposite. Uh, but I don't, I, don't, I don't get that. So I'm... I don't. I don't know. I don't follow it, and I don't follow like why they were willing to bring in Stanton in his monster contract. But if see, this is me doing it again, if they're not in on Harper or Machado, Harper specifically, because that's the one I feel like makes sense. Why Stanton was okay, but Harper isn't, and you and 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 it might be as simple as our, our analytics show that Harper's production over the next decades is not going to be as good as we our analytics showed Stanton, and I'm like, yep, great, great fucking answer. It's like when I went to Mazalock in his office at Roger Dean Stadium last year, and I said, hey, I want to have a conversation before we even start recording. And it's not like he said, okay, this is off the record, so I can share some details on this. But I said, you know, a lot of our audience is irritating. He goes, I'm really surprised to hear that. I just don't see why people, I don't see it, and I don't, he goes, I don't listen to your show that much, so I don't, 
And I said, well, people are like, you know, they're questioning the rotation. They're just like, you know, there are some guys out there. And he goes, okay, well, who would be Jake Arrieta, Lance Lynn. He goes, let's say we were to sign one of them. Okay, so then who would people want out of the rotation? He goes, I'll answer the question for you because I know the answer. Miles Michaelis. And our numbers show that Miles Michaelis is going to have the best season of the three, a much better season, and that's why we're going with Miles Michaelis. And I'm like, okay, I mean, what can I say to that? You know, what can I say to that? And and then, of course, now we all have the benefit of knowing what happened in 2018, and he was right. Now, that doesn't mean that he's always right. So if that's the answer, then that's the answer. And I'm certainly going to have that conversation with him, assuming that the Cardinals aren't signing one of those guys. Just in the back of my mind, I just... And I might be, like, on an island on this thing. And Derek Gould might walk up to me if he were to hear me talk about this going, dude, they're out on Harper. It's just not happening. But I just, in the back of my mind, still think there's a chance they're in on Harper. And I might just be completely out of my mind. But anyway, uh, so I, I don't know how to answer the question. It's a good question. It's an absolutely fair question. I don't know. The Cardinals have put themselves in a position for 2020 that they are as fluid as the day is long. I mean, there aren't many teams in Major League Baseball who are considered to be contenders for division titles this year who have the ability to completely move on from a roster like the Cardinals are, especially over the next two years, but specifically over the next year. So, you know, last year when I was sitting down in Jupiter, Florida at the picnic table, I thought this is going to be a really unique year because either the Cardinals are going to perform at a high level and a lot of fans are going to have to eat their words – or they're going to fail and the Cardinals are going to fire the manager and we haven't seen that in the middle of a season since 1995. And we haven't seen it with the Bill DeWitt ownership group. Because I view, as I've said before, that he is uh, operates kind of like in a Rooney family way and that they don't like to fire. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about just managers and GMs, just in general. That if you get in the Cardinal family and you do your job, uh, they are going to find a reason to try and keep you more often than just like have high turnover, which is one of the reasons why I think they've been successful. So this is a unique year, different than last, but unique still, in that there are so many people who could be, um, you know, heading to Jupiter, Florida, or in Jupiter, Florida as we speak, who will not be members of this organization as players next year. Um, and then at the same time, it's an organization that I feel like is a legitimate World Series contender this year. But um, I know a lot of people in the Cardinal fan base don't feel that way. If they were to sign Bryce Harper, that would immediately change. Uh, Let's see. As much as it's referenced on the show, it would be fantastic to get a more extensive recap on the successful run of the late-night score. See what I'm talking about? These are wonderful. They're all over the place. I don't even remember seeing this question, Uh, so I'm going to be answering this one off the cuff. Uh, The late-night score. The late-night score... Um, when it's all said and done, I the buck stops here, you know, uh, when, when I am actually really operating things. Um, and most of the time, the buck, and I don't even go into the details of, you know, an explanation that would show that, well, the buck really didn't stop here, but I've got to fall on the sword because I've got CEO next to my name, and that's just the way that it's got to be, unless it's something that's public and, you know, there's some kind of criminal act uh, when we have to tend to it differently. But if it's an in-house issue... It's an house issue. So uh, with that said, uh, no need to name a name, but uh, at the time, somebody who I was working with, and actually still am, uh, said, I think a show that could really work would be, and was pointing out a show in Tampa that was really successful with an all-female cast, and uh, have it be on at night, sell remotes, remote broadcasts to bars, and have them do a show. 
And I said, I, I and I and I still, I still, nine years afterwards, I still think it's a good idea. Um, you know that that's how I feel. It's and of course now that the cards have been turned over and it was a disaster. That might sound stupid to say. I still think it's a good idea, but I legitimately still think it's a good idea. And um, and we began the process of bringing in people. And you know the thing is, um, for as much as we're self-deprecating about the morning after. The reason why the thing, when it really, really, really gets down to it, when it really gets down to it, the reason why the thing's been on for 15 years and never on an FM station, so therefore never with ratings, which is why it does legitimately confound radio people in St. Louis, but at this point now they know about it, now they believe in it, and you know, uh, are aware of the success in particular with advertisers, is because of the talent. Um, and I'm not talking about myself uh, for real, uh, because... You know, if you want to go back to the beginning, Martin Kilcoin, um, and of course now the cat and Doug, uh, and then when one of us is out, uh, Charlie and Jay Randolph Jr. I can tell you this from the person who I guess would be considered the moderator. We call it running point. Uh, the person who brings it in and out of breaks. There is a speed, so to speak, with which we play that not everybody can play. And I know it sounds so self-indulgent. But to prove that this is not a self-indulgent comment, as the person running point, I'm, I have to be more conscious of the speed of the show than anybody because, you know, like if a topic is dragging, I got I to gotta find that split second where nobody's talking, which isn't easy when you have, a, you know, five people who are in the studio, all of whom are, uh, have the green light to talk. And then get it and then either segue with a live read or a reset or into another topic. And so you know how quick it's going. And I think that's one of the it's like an Aaron Sorkin screenplay dialogue. It's just going so quick. And so you have to be able to play that fast in order for it to work. And there have been times over the years where the cat's out or Doug's out or Charlie's not available or Jay's not available. And somebody would fill in and the show would be really good. Strauss, for example, some of our best shows actually were when Strauss was in and filling in, um, but the show would absolutely change its style. It still was really good. It was just a totally different style of show. Uh, just like I would say my podcast is, is much different than TMA. And I probably sound, some people are like, this is the same guy who talks about lesbianism that's interviewing, you know, Bill DeWitt seriously or Megan Green on the city-county merger or Jack Danforth on uh, political discourse and religion and politics. Yeah, I don't know how to fuck to explain it. I know that this is just where I am. <laughs> I'm not looking for a label. Uh, I know the label that I get most is probably pervert. Hey, and you know what? If the shoe fits. But the, the show's tenor changes based on who's in and so it has to be a certain group of people in order for the offense to be able to still run the way that I like to run an offense. So why bring that up? Well, I think because of the talent of the people on the show, and I'm specifically thinking of obviously Doug and the Cat, but also Martin, and for real, and I'm being 100% truthful. I've said this to my wife when it's just me and her bullshitting. And I'm sure listeners too, but I'm sure the listeners might think I'm bullshitting. But if Anna Marie were around, she would vouch for the statement. I am in awe of how quick my co-host's minds work. 
Um, and now some people might go, well, your mind works quickly as well. And, and thank you for the compliment if that's what you're saying. But I am not speaking about mine. I'm speaking about Doug and the cat and Martin specifically because it's that's why the show works. That's why the show has been on as long as it has. And you can't train that. It's just talent. But they can never say that because it comes off the wrong way. But it's but it is the truth. I mean, and these are the guys who I've worked with more than anybody else. But it still works. I mean, to a monster level, and I love it. And if Doug and the Cat said, "All right, we're done," I'd be like, "All right, Jay and Charlie, let's do the show," and it would still be the same thing. I know it would be different in the sense of it wouldn't be people that you know whether people love Doug or they love the Cat, uh, just like people loved Martin. But it changes, and it changes because of the talent. And it's one of those things that you just you can't. That's God. Now I regarding athletics. I used to think, well, yeah, you, you know, if you worked on it long enough, you could do a lot of what these guys do. And some people just have the ability. And if you're going to go into biochemistry, you want to talk about fast twitch muscles and certain genes that allow them to do things that the vast majority of the population can't do. And there's a greater appreciation for it with athletics, certainly in American culture. But if we want to apply it to this moronic business, which we are all in, uh, it certainly is a factor with regard to broadcasting in this style of show. And because I've been surrounded by it, going back to 2004, I, when I'm in the position of making decisions on creating new shows, have taken for granted that because it's come so easy for us, that it will therefore come easy to whoever I put in, and and I've been wrong, fuck, God only knows how many times, I mean, a lot. Um, and again, that's why the buck stops here. So... In 2010, I wasn't as aware of how wrong <laughs> I would be in 2019 with all of the sample size. Um, and I look back on it, and it was it was you just you just can't t- pick people up off the street, especially four who have never worked in broadcasting, and then expect them to when they've never met each other do a show together that is a similar show in format to the morning after. In, in other words, it's not really like an organized show it's improv and so that's what we did with the late night score I still think the concept would work but you know you got to find the talent Sarah Bruce who would go on to work on a a few different shows and is somebody I would work with uh now so nine years removed is is a legitimate in my opinion legitimate uh very first off she's very intelligent but she's very talented um, and if she wanted to be in broadcasting, could certainly be in broadcasting and be, um, uh, for my money, um, somebody who would be uh, pe- a person people would go out of their way to listen to and could really make a mark in broadcasting if she wanted to. Um, and so I think she was kind of charged with being the captain of the ship. Then what wound up happening, which is what I know what people really wanted before I went into another diatribe, uh, was the, the the ladies working on the show did not get along. One didn't get along really with the other three or four, uh, and so they would get in fights. And so for that two- or three-week period, the show was on the air. Um, in 2010, I would wake up almost every morning with a text from at least one of the hosts Uh with a complaint or a report about something that happened after the show or during the show uh, the night before. And one of them I specifically remember was an actual fight in the parking lot of Helen Fitzgerald's. (laughs) And I called the person I was working with on this and I said, we got to put this thing to bed. 
I mean, we just got to put this, this, I mean, you know, it was actually, we were selling it. So from a revenue standpoint, it was, a, it was a, it was a positive, it was a profitable venture. It wasn't like we were going to get homes in Huntley because of it, but it was profitable. But, uh, it was, you know, juice, is the juice worth the squeeze? And it wasn't even close. And so that's what happened there. I still think the concept works, but you can't just, you know, and this is my flaw, but I was, you know, I also know that, you know, it's easy to say it nine years removed. I also know I wasn't working with like some, okay, we can hire each person and pay them all, you know, livable wages. So this is their main job. I mean, that, it was a side project and it was at night. So, you know, in, in fairness, it's not like I went out and talked to IMG and CAA and said, send me your best and, you know, brightest from New York and L.A. and Dallas and Miami and Chicago, and we're going to move to St. Louis to do an AM radio show from bars in St. Louis on a Tuesday night. You know, that's not the way that it worked. But, um, you know, the thing, that, the thing that was a surprise was the fighting. <laughs> that was the thing. And somebody quit on air, and uh, to the credit of Kevin, the non-gay Lorenz, he grabbed the microphone before... Uh, something could be said over the radio that would have led to an FCC fine. So there is a brief synopsis of the late night score. How many of the people actually listening to this even know what the hell I'm talking about? But I said I wanted to answer the questions. I'm going to answer the questions. Hey, before I go into answering more questions, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency makes this thing possible by being a very loyal sponsor of the program. Has been for a long time. You know how long a long time is? Since the very, very beginning. And then in the course of getting to know James, I'm like, I've got to switch to James. And I did. And I made the switch in November. Uh, and that wasn't part of the deal. And I just, I'm like, this, you're in a different world. I have spoken or texted with or emailed with James Carlton more time in the last three days than I did with my previous agent in, in 10 years. Um, it's, it's just attention to detail. It's different. And it matters. Man, It matters. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. You will be really happy that you did. Uh, you got my word on that. I am so impressed with him. And I'm telling you, if I could buy stock on companies, I'd buy stock on James Carlton all day long. All right, continuing on. Uh, when do you think Harper gets signed? Uh, this is an easy and a quick one. Um, it's February 6th. I would say he will be signed by, uh, the end of next week. So I will say February 15th. There is my, there's my over under February 15th. Uh, what kind of cologne do you wear? Because we all want to smell like you. That's from Ryan. It's a great question. I'm not a cologne guy. Uh, gangster Peter, you a cologne guy? Uh, no, not really. I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't know if that's a whole thing still. I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on the future of Major League Baseball uh, with the lack of young fan interest, veteran players not being signed to big deals, and a possible strike Excuse me, in a few years? I'm worried. And then there is a uh, post under it. I'm a high school teacher. I was shocked by the fact that none of the kids cared about the Goldsmith trade. They don't care about the Cardinals. That, surpri- that, that comment surprises me. Um, usually I'm not really surprised by some of these things that I know Doug and the Cat, for example, like like any time that we have a Super Bowl musical act discussion, the next day it's a, you know, you can you can program your clock to Doug complaining about the musical act. Um, so I know that there's sometimes a disconnect on the age gap of, like, you know, some of the listeners and Doug and the Cat's musical thoughts. I don't, uh, this, the, the fact that in St. Louis, Kids did not in high school care about the Paul Goldschmidt trades, a legitimate surprise to me. So 
maybe we have a disconnect finally for me. Um, that one surprises me. I think a lot of people who are uh, older than me in St. Louis would be stunned by the interest in young people in St. Louis in soccer, and I'm not I'm not talking about the MLS, uh, even though that is certainly in vogue uh, in St. Louis to do. I'm talking about in particular watching games, um, whether it be you know in the UK, Champions League, you know, Premier League, whatever the case might be. Uh, it's just that's to me the thing, and, and and the NBA, and I think that's you know, but I just don't think we get a taste of that in St. Louis, the popularity of it. Um, if anything, the two sports that St. Louis has are the two that I think if you were ranking interest of people, I'll go 18 to 34, if we're going to use the four major North American professional leagues, I think they would be the lowest two, and I don't even think it would be close. Do you agree with that, Pete, that baseball and hockey would be the lowest two? Oh, yeah, NBA and, NFL? and Premier League is huge now with younger people. Right. But, but St. Louis is, again, I spoke to the bubble earlier on, but baseball's success in these TV deals is because the game has become regional. Right. And, and so it's not an, an NFL comparison. It's not even an NBA, which is a star-driven comparison. Uh, and the NHL just hasn't really ever gained the footing that the other three have or have uh, at the moment. So, uh, you know, uh, the... the I don't. I, I think baseball's model is different, and I think the model can work. It's like our thing, you know, with regard to the radio show. Whereas everybody who works on FM goes, "How in the hell do you guys do this?" And then I go, hey, "Well, you know, back in the day, I go, well, here are our numbers when I was the one operating it," and they go, "Oh my god," you know, like they used to dismiss me and dismiss the show. And then it's like, okay, well, the numbers talk. Here's our revenue. Here are the clients. Here's the spends. And it's like, holy shit, how are you doing this? Well, if we're doing this here, imagine what we do there. You know, it was the conversation. Uh, and so what the NBA and NFL are doing, I think, are different than what Major League Baseball is doing, but they both can get into the end zone. It's just in a different way. Now, regarding young fan interest, I don't know. I, th- I think I think there's some validity to that because, you know, it, it gets kind of shit on with, like, millennials or even younger with short attention span. You know, I would buy up stock all day long on eSports. Um and how slow it is, you know, I mean, even when I was playing and I hadn't been out in the out, well, first off, I never really played the outfield. I played second base, but at Cardinal fantasy camp, you could be pretty sure you weren't going to be getting a whole lot of chances in the outfield. Uh, and I'm just kind of like, God, I mean, I'm happy to be out here, but I'm a little bored. <laughs> you know, I'm wearing a Cardinal Jersey and I'm looking at Ryan Franklin and Scott Cooper on the, on the left side of the infield, you know, so I get it. I don't know. You know, I feel like golf's experiencing a, a surge with young, charismatic American players, but I feel like that's cyclical. I don't know if that's sustainable. Because uh, I, I think with golf, I feel like it's got the same issue, slow, is it's, you know, how many people can do it, how accessible it is. Uh, certainly golf being a you know, much slimmer perspective, how much it costs because these guys... Baseball stopped becoming fun to me when we had to play like 60 games over the summer and yeah and you start like, missing blues playoff games to go to practice yeah you know what you're right and, and then it was that like mechanical exactly. that's when i lost it i i remember and I'm, i was glad i got to do it i mean fuck i was thrilled that i even made the team but like i remember our coach sending out a spreadsheet like okay if a ball's hit to 
left center and you're the second baseman. Here's where you go. I don't know if there's a runner on. Here's where you go. And it's like a spreadsheet. I'm just like, ah. So I don't know. I, I think there's I think it's a, a very good question. I don't I, I think if the, the analytics, though, showed that it was going to be in a, a free fall, you wouldn't get these kind of television deals. But, you know, who knows? I don't know. I mean, I know. But I, I think more of this has to do with all the entertainment options and age. But I know when I was in the 80s and even 90s, I didn't want to miss World Series games or early 90s. Uh, and I know I just I don't even care. But I couldn't wait to watch the NFC AFC Championship games, and uh, and to an extent the Super Bowl, uh, and I'll look forward to the NBA Finals. Uh, you know, because you pretty much have an idea that, it, and I like that though that the best team's going to be in there. At the very least, they're going to be in the conference finals. So you know, you're going to see. So I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. And I really, I don't have a solution. But I think your question is fair. I just, I think it's got a different business model. Uh, let's see what we got. Um, at the dinner meeting. Okay, so this goes into. I've kind of gone back and forth on how much I want to go into this because I'm not talking about how much I want to go in, like how much I want to continue this, because this, it kind of goes against my. Bert Kaufman is the gentleman I cite often. He owns Nine Twenty. Um, in his eighties, good man. Uh. And we went through the Albert Pujols, Jack Clark thing in 2013. And, um, and there were things that were being said and being written that I'm like, wow, that's just absolutely, it's just not, not true. It's not even close to true. And I, it's just like flat out being made up. And, and, uh, and I remember Bert Kaufman and a business partner of mine, both of whom, first off, very smart, but also wise difference between the two, but they happen to possess both, uh, and I'm like, well, I, you know, I have to respond, and um, and I, I, and and both of them were like, one, Bert specifically said, never get involved in something with no upside, uh, and with somebody who's willing to lie. And I, it, that was 2013. We're approaching six years since then, and it's been something I've attempted to live by. I certainly don't do it across the board. But it's certainly been like a guiding principle, and it, and it kind of simplifies things. Um, uh, and then uh, with my business partner on, on that situation, uh, it, you know, he said it's it, he he made a, a comparison. Uh, he said it's the equivalent of of you know pursuing a case where there are you know tens of millions of dollars uh, over here. Um, but you could risk the tens of millions of dollars by going and t- attending to a case that's worth like $500. That's, and he goes, you risk the tens of millions, so to speak, from an analogy standpoint, by tending to this crap over here, which most people know is crap anyway, and you just can't. And, you know, and I'm like, yeah. And it's so good. It's so important to have those kinds of sound minds around you. <laughs> I cannot... I cannot emphasize that enough. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's that's that, that doesn't have to be in business. That's just in life. Um, and so, you know, with regard to why Jason Barrett's name has popped up here recently, it's this top twenty show thing. Which on our show TMA, we've joked about this list. We've joked about his columns, I guess, where he like will kind of do like 
like I guess a news and notes across radio. And so sometimes it would include like a board operator in Albany who's doing overnights now. It's, you know, like if Colin Coward is moved to a different time slot or Paul Feinbaum or something like that, it's like, oh, that is of note. People are going to click. But, you know, if if the 16-year-old board op in Albany is gonna is now going to be able to do mornings as opposed to overnights, you know, I don't even know if he's interested in that. But that's what it was. And so we would read that on TMA. I think that got back to, to, to Jason. And I think he thought we were taking personal shots at him, which we weren't. With a show, we make fun of each other, much less other stuff that we just think's dumb. But it doesn't, it's not like you're dumb. Because Jason and I have had a good relationship for a few years, ever since things went awry, when he came in and Martin quit the morning grind and the cat got fired and he brought in Bob Fesco and the show didn't work and then they blamed me for it. And I think deep down, everybody knows the truth on that, but I'm the one who gets blamed for it. Uh, So, you know, whatever. Um, Like I always say, it's kind of like, okay, been in the market now at this point for 20 years, pretty comfortable with the track record. You know, we want to compare and contrast. So, so he releases these rankings of shows, and our show's been in there in the past. It doesn't it doesn't impact. It's not like I get like a ten thousand dollar bonus if our show's in Jason Barrett's rank. It's just not a a thing. If anything, the fun that we have with the rankings are they come out during Super Bowl week because he goes down to Radio Row, which is smart on his part, um, so he can get on shows and meet with people because he's a consultant, which that's what's the business model. But the thing that we the thing that I have fun with is I will read them. And then get and then ask Doug who he thinks is number twelve, you know. And, and we of course have no idea because we don't fucking know. Even though we do this for a living, we have no idea. You could say you could tell me, Tim, I'm going to give you a five grand if you name the lineup at at one hundred and one. And I couldn't do it. And that's not because one hundred and one is irrelevant. It's, it's I, I don't listen, so I don't know. And I'm sure you could say to Bernie Miklas, I'll give you five grand if you can give the lineup at, at KFNS, and he couldn't do it. It's just not what we do. It's not what we think about, much less other markets. So I don't know how you actually rank these things, but we always just thought that Jason ranked them, which was fine. Didn't care. You know, and I realize if you're looking at ratings, you don't. You, the, our show doesn't have ratings because we're on an AM station, and unless you're a KMOX-sized AM station, you could put Howard Stern on. You're not going to get ratings. But I also know the public doesn't understand this. So what really matters is do you give your advertisers a return on investment? Fortunately, over the years, that's what we do, which is why we still exist. So we don't care. So it's we're just having fun with it, and. And that's just, it's 100%. Like, I wish I could be on, like, a lie detector and put Doug on a lie detector. In the case. We just don't give a fuck. I mean, we really we just don't. It just doesn't matter. So Bernie's show has been, number one, the rankings, like, I think, I don't know, how many years, which is great. And Bernie's show, I'm sure, is great. We're on at the same time. It's like the Rizzuto show. I, I don't get a chance to listen to it. But I'll tell you this, if I owned a radio station and I were hiring, I would try and hire Bernie Miklas in a heartbeat. So it's got, I did. Hell, I did when I was operating 920. Tried to put him in afternoons. I was going to put him and Michelle Smallman together, and it's exactly what 101 ended up doing a couple years later. I'm like, oh, sweet. I laid the groundwork. But we just do two totally different things. There's no way you can passionately love Bernie Miklas' show and passionately love TMA because it's just doing two totally different things, even though they're both so-called sports show. Bernie's, I assume, is really a sports show. 
So whatever. It's, that's just the truth. And I think Bernie would probably tell you the same thing. I think, if anything, Bernie is probably irritated that our show's so nitwittish. But it's good for him because anybody who really wants to hear hardcore sports, they have one option in the morning. As far as I know, hell, maybe there's another one now. I don't know. In St. Louis. And it's going to be Bernie Miklas. So that's great. And in the 21st market in the country. And he's on a big FM signal. So God bless. So anyway, we don't care. It just doesn't matter. It truly does not matter. So here is how this all got going. Uh, somebody sent me a clip of, uh, well, the, the, the Post-Dispatch uh, had a story about, uh, I guess 101 was ranked the number one station, or Bernie's show was ranked the number one, or Fastlane, or something was ranked number one, or maybe all three were. And it was Joe Holloman of the Post-Dispatch writing about it, not Dan Caesar, which surprised me because back when I was dealing with some issues uh, and, and Joe Strauss and Brian Burwell, who were working with me at the time, they were a little, I don't know what the right word was, uh, but they didn't feel like the coverage was fair. Let me put it that way. And I remember Strauss saying, you ought to reach out to Joe Holloman because he is a good guy and he isn't you know he's just gonna he's gonna report what's really going on and and I said okay so I didn't know Joe Holloman I've still never met Joe Holloman I know who he is but I don't we've never met and so I reached out to him and he said oh I appreciate you calling Tim uh, he goes but you know Dan Caesar and I we have an agreement that if it's sports media related he writes about it if it's media related that's not sports I write about it. I'm like oh okay totally get it whatever bad beat for me but fine and so when I saw it was Joe Holloman who wrote about it I thought that was odd I, and then and then secondly that it's, it's citing Jason Barrett's rankings I mean it's like if I decided you know I'd like to rank my 20 favorite shows on Netflix and then all of a sudden it's on CNN or something you know I mean like who the fuck cares but whatever fine who cares then like a day or two later a guy sends me a clip of ESPN's SEC network showing the top 10 shows and how the Paul Feinbaum show was on there. And I'm going, okay, now, now this has gotten out of control because this is, this is, this is not, this is, you know, I don't know how, I, I wonder about the process of the rankings. Let me put it that way. So I went to Jason's site and read the article and he lists, you know, he wrote the article, but he writes about himself in third person. You know, that's kind of like Teddy KGB with the Oreo for me, but whatever. And and then he says that he he has 51 radio executives use five pieces of criteria and rank all of the shows. And then, and then there's the large markets, one through 20. And then there's uh, the mid-markets, which are considered, which I was surprised, I didn't realize, I thought mid-markets would be like market 21 through 50, St. Louis is market 21, but it goes all the way to market 100. Now, I have operated a radio station. Uh, I, I mean, CBS Sports 920 was, was mine to operate, uh, even though I didn't own it, and we paid Burt Kaufman, who I cited earlier, uh, money to lease the time Monday through Friday, I operated that. Um, I had to do things within the realm of his blessing, but either way, I was operating that station and also hosting a show at the time. So it's not 100% apples to apples, but either way, I know that you don't have a lot of free time. And so the idea that 51 executives listen to all of these shows 
and then whittle it down to a top 20 in each one of these five categories and then rank them with points assigned to each show of their top 20 and then submit it to Jason struck me as unique. It's the word we will use. And, and so I asked on the fan page if anybody had seen who the 51 executives are because I was truly surprised that I, if, you, if you said, Tim, I'm going to give you whatever, I keep using dollar figures, but whatever, like money that would matter, a few thousand dollars to listen to all of the programming in St. Louis and then rank it. And we're going to give you five grand to do that. If you'll do that over the next week and just listen to at least a half hour of each show to be able to rank it. And we're talking just St. Louis here of, you know, five different styles of shows, whatever, just five different stations. So that way we're not including it. I'd go, God almighty. I, I mean, I guess if, if you're making it, if you're going to make it that much money, I guess I'll do it. But shit, I don't really have the time to do this. And this is now when I'm not operating a station. And just doing a nitwit show and a nitwit podcast. So I take myself back to 2013, 2014, 2015, and part of 2016 when I was really running a radio station and it, it CBS Sports 920. And going, I wouldn't have had, you couldn't, I don't know if there's a dollar figure you could have given me because I couldn't afford to, to take the time to do it. I'd destroy my business if I were sitting there listening to the show. Much less 100 markets worth of shows and then ranking them by five different pieces of criteria, and then whittling it down to 20, and then submitting that and not being compensated. So the premise struck me as just unique, is the word we're going to use. And that's fine. If you want to, okay, okay, so who are the 51 executives? When the college football playoff committee gets together for their rankings, we know who's on there. It was a huge deal. Condoleezza Rice is on there. You know, and then the person, when the rankings come out, the per- just like with the NCAA Tournament Committee, there, Jim Nance is sitting there interviewing the person. Why'd you go with this? You know, Dick Vitale, how are you going to look those kids from Burry State in the eye? All, it, it, you, it, well, with this, I just, I asked. I didn't know. I really thought, because why, why the hell would it be like some kind of secret society? And I said, do you guys, I just went to his page. I didn't see it, but, but maybe I missed it, who the 51 radio executives are. And then the fan page, as they are one to do, especially the great Buck Swope, who is the Mike Wallace of our generation. Uh, they're like, it's not listed anywhere. And so people began to tweet at him asking where it was. And I said, if you're going to tweet at him, be polite. Don't don't you know, don't do the thing that you'll, you'll see radio hosts do. They rally up their people and, and have people attack people. I've been on the receiving end of it before from Bubble the Love Sponge's fans in 2013, and it's just kind of whatever. You know what it is, and it's just like, oh, okay. So I don't do that. I don't want our honesty. First of all, don't even, you know, if you're, not, if you're not going to be able to do that, don't reach out to them. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking for that information. And um, Jason and I, I don't want to say we had a falling out, but he wrote something uh, that was not accurate about me and my job responsibilities. And I, I emailed him and I said, hey, you know, if you have any questions about me and my career and you're going to write about it, you know you can reach out to me. What you're citing is just it's just not true. And his response was that's that's above my pay grade. Uh, and I'm just like, wow, OK, that was a turnoff. 
I, I didn't have some kind of bloodlust for him at all. I just kind of moved on. It's not the first time I've read inaccurate shit about myself. You know, I just don't particularly care for it, especially when I know that I don't like going to hiding and make myself accessible. Um, and certainly I was reaching out. So, you know, and I, and I think he's under the impression that, like, I guess, I don't know, that, we're like, Doug and the cat and I are upset about not being ranked. We were ranked. We've been ranked before. We don't care. Because we, we just, like, okay, Jason put us at 18, whatever. Gives a shit. You know? The ranking I care about is what comes on my W-2 at the end of the year. And if that ranks me first or if it ranks me five millionth, I don't give a shit as long as it's what I'm supposed to be making per my contract. And my contract has no Barrett Media Clause in it. So I don't care. Does not matter to me. So... So the people start asking, and then when people start tweeting him, he starts blocking them. And I'm like, wow, what? you know, if I put together something and I worked that hard on it, and people called its credibility into question, I wouldn't block them. I would go, man, this sucks. I want people to know that this is on the up and up. And so here is here is my answer. And maybe... These people said, well, we'll do it, but we can't have anybody knowing we're doing it. Now, I don't know why that would be the case. You could say, well, it could be a conflict of interest. Well, I mean, Florida's athletic director was on the college football playoff committee this year. You know, Florida received one of the New Year's Day bowl bids. They somehow were able to avoid UCF magically. You know, conflicts of interest, it's kind of understood. Why would it be, like, confidential? And then why would you block everybody who, who asked who they were? So that, that whole thing, so then now he's like accusing, passive-aggressively, of course, uh, that I stirred all this up to troll him. If, and if anything, if my words are, you know, they haven't disappeared. I specifically said, don't be rude. I legitimately want to know. Just b- because it's, this is, if, that, if that's what went on, if 51 radio executives listened to 100 markets worth of shows, and if you're just going to operate on the premise that at least the top 25 markets have two sports talk stations, and some of the other markets that are smaller have two sports talk stations, and all of them have at least a live local morning drive and afternoon drive show, and some of them have programming all day long, I mean, that's thousands and thousands of hours of listening to radio shows to, to whittle it down to 20 and then rank. And it's just, I'm just like, man, that's a hell of a process. I know I don't have that time. And all I do now, like I said, is host a podcast and a radio show, much less when I was operating a station. So I don't know what to say about it. Um, and, and when it was all going on, part of me was like, I should just, you know, I because I, I'm so conscious of just like not getting into shit that's just got no upside. But at the same time, if he just was posting it and tweeting about it, he'd be like, okay, fine, but now you have the Postus Batch using it, now you have ESPN using it? Like, okay. Like, if, and if it were just Jason's opinion as somebody who works in sports already, I'd be like, good for him. But when you put forth that it's 51, 51, 55 is a lot. 10 times that much? 51 radio executives? Not interns, executives? So you're talking GMs, market managers, sales managers, program directors. 51 of these people across the country listen to 100 markets worth of shows and then whittle it down to 20 based on Jason's five criteria. I just thought that's a lot. They, they decide millions and millions of dollars with the college football playoff committee and, and they don't have 51. The NCAA tournament committee isn't 51. You know, fuck. 
51 votes in the Senate, you're passing legislation. It took 51 to put this thing together. But they're anonymous. We can't find out who they are. And if you dare tweet at them, you get blocked. So I don't know. So then people asked, which got to this question here, about our hit, because he blocked me, even though I haven't tweeted at him. I don't know if I've ever tweeted at him, because I would email him with him. Uh, he blocked Doug. <laughs> and Doug doesn't, I know Doug isn't tweeting. I know the cat isn't. He blocked us all. He just blocked everybody. It was a fucking bizarre thing. I don't know what to say. It, it happened. It's a real thing. Like, there's, there's not a, I don't know. I don't know. So people are like, well, is there some, like, history between the show and... And I'm like, no, if anything, uh, you know, he... I think he was the person who introduced me to the sea monster, like, five or six years ago. Uh, and uh, and when I was looking for somebody to possibly run 920, because that was running me into the ground, which further lends itself to my point, that uh, you have uh, very little time on your hands, uh, that... He, he sent me a guy who uh, had been working in a big market, and, and I flew him to St. Louis, and we had dinner, and he kind of gave a report on the radio station, and I mean, Jason did that. So we had a really good relationship, especially considering what had happened in 2007. So there's, there was no ill will. I guess maybe it got back to him that he thought we were ripping him by mocking his like thing on the Albany board operators, but we weren't. And so I was legitimately killed, like, wow, this thing that he was creating has turned into a big thing that he's able to employ or pay or has the credibility to get 51 executives to listen to all of these shows. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of radio shows and rank them, and now ESPN citing it. I mean, God, if I would put that much time into something and then, then even one person would email me and go, I think you made this up and it's all bullshit. And you say there's 51 people who ranked this and you didn't vote. I think that's bullshit. And I'd be like, it'd be like doing long division or algebra in high school. Being like, here's the work. You might not like it, but here's the work. You know, or take a, or say, I can't show you the names. Because I told them they'd be confidential because it could be a conflict of interest for people. Even though I don't see that, but let's just play that hand out. Because that's, the, that's the, the thing he's using now. Okay, well then you have to have the ballots. You have to have the ballots. Whether they be emailed or actual paper ballots, take screenshots of those. Be interesting. But instead, you ask, you get blocked. So the, the history that's being referred to here is I noted that, you know, in 2006, Jason came into KFNS and, um, and he, just, he, he ran a tighter ship, which is probably what was needed. It just was done to a level that was sometimes you got to pick your spots. And, uh, and he sent an email um, when Martin and the cat had left the show early when we were doing the show in New York when the Cardinals were playing the Mets in the NLCS. And he sent it right after the show got done. They left early because they were staying over in Queens. We were broadcasting from CBS on the west side of Manhattan. So it was a long haul, especially to come in during that hour uh, after they were at Shea Stadium after game one until super late for their TV responsibilities, and they left early, and I don't know what the story was on it. I guess Jason says they didn't get, get it cleared. Um, I, I don't know. Either way, I know that Fox Sports Midwest and Channel 2 were paying for those guys to be there, so they felt like they had to adhere to what the TV stations needed. And Jason sent a long email that was lighting them up for leaving early and leaving me to do the show with Chris Domino at the time. 
And I recall, and I've told this story before, uh, that uh, I was I happened to be going across Times Square uh, in my cab from CBS to where my hotel was in Manhattan because I didn't have to go to Shea Stadium, uh, and I'm insane, and so I uh, have to stay at nice hotels because I have a potpourri of issues. And uh, I remember reading the email going, this is going to be the end of the show. I swear I thought it. I know because I read the email and I'm like, I know Martin Kilcoin and Martin Kilcoin isn't going to put up with this because Martin Kilcoin was already kind of teetering on the brink for some stuff in the past. They fired producer Joe without talking to us. Uh, and some people go, well, fuck you guys. Why do you think you should be talked to? But the, the show is kind of a cast and, you know, they had the right to do it. But it, it, that rubbed him the wrong way. And then I knew that email. And then that that following Monday, we get back in St. Louis. We have a meeting after the show. Martin is not saying anything. And uh, Jason speaking. It's just me, Jason, the cat, Martin, and our producer at the time. And uh, Jason talks, and Martin explodes uh, and states his case passionately and says, that's it, I'm done, and he walks out, and yeah, that was it. That was the end of the morning grind, essentially, with that cast. That was it. Um, and then two months later, after two months of what Jim, the, Jim, Jimmy the Cat Hayes and I thought were auditions, which included Doug Vaughn, uh, I uh, had a meeting, a dinner Jason scheduled on, I believe it was January 2nd or 3rd, 2007, at J. Bucks and Clayton, in which we were going to discuss who we thought were the best auditions and pick the new third host of the morning grind. And in my opinion, and also the opinion of the cat, Doug Vaughn was the best. And the only other person, which is what this question was, uh, was Chris Pelican, who we thought would be a good option, but we thought Doug was the best. And I had worked, and I know a lot of people when Doug was hired were like Doug Vaughn because when Doug had been doing TV in St. Louis at that point for nearly 20 years, he hadn't shown the personality on air, which local TV kind of restricts you from doing. That I knew he he had behind the scenes, which was he's the funniest damn guy I'd ever been around. Like I seriously would piss myself in the back when it was me, Savar, Doug, and our producers and editors back at KMOV when I was working there for five years. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, for real, piss myself. And so I'm like, Doug's the guy. Plus he came in on audition, he was the best. So I sit there with Jason, that, that was going to be my solution. Obviously, I, I would still say it even if it didn't work out, but I think now we have 12 years of going, ah, you were right, Jim, you were right. Uh, Jason tells me this is true. I mean, if anybody disputes it, I'd be happy to, to have a conversation. We can donate any proceeds to charity, whatever. It doesn't matter. Now I'm speaking the truth. Jason said, uh, I'm firing Jim Hayes and bringing in Bob Fesco. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what? I said, well, Jim just signed a contract a couple months ago. Uh, and his wife just left television because, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, she was pregnant or just had Tyler. Uh, and I, so my first question was, well, are you going to pay Jim the balance of his deal? And he said, well, we're not sure he really has a contract. He signed a term sheet. Uh, and that's where the birth of the talk of the cat's new bathroom comes from. So you can do the math on that, uh, how that all went down when it was all finished. And then I said, and then, and I said who's Bob Fesco? And that wasn't a shot at Bob Fesco. Telling the story now is not a shot at Bob Fesco. It's just I didn't know Bob Fesco. So we had done two months worth of auditions thinking we were auditioning our new co-host 
thinking I was having a dinner to say Doug Vaughn is the person. And I'm told my co-host is getting fired after my other co-host had just quit after my producer had been fired a month before that. And uh, and we're bringing in somebody you've never met or didn't even know existed to be your new co-host. That happened. That happened. So it did happen. Uh, the way that it went down after that was um, Jason said, now we're going to tell Jim that we're going to fire him after the show tomorrow, so I need you to do the show, and then I'm going to meet with him to fire him. I said, Jason, i got to tell you. I said, I'm not comfortable with that at all. I said, this guy happens to be a friend of mine, but on top of that, even if he weren't a friend of mine, he's going to lose his job, and i got to act like, and I know it, and i got to act like everything's cool, and I feel like I'm, I'm guilty by association. So I said, I can't, I said, he's got to find out tonight. And if he isn't going to find out from you, he's going to find out from me. Well, as it wound up playing out that evening, I had to be the one to tell him. Uh, so we didn't do a show the next day. They played a best of. And as we were walking out of Jay Bucks that night, Jason said, again, this is true. I suppose there's no witness, but I mean, it's true. I can picture where we were in the parking garage uh, he said, if this doesn't work out, this is going to be on me. Um, so let's make this work. And, you know, and it didn't work out. But it didn't work out because it, didn't, it had nothing to do with Bob Fesco being a bad guy or not talented or anything like that. We just do two different things. Like Bernie Miklas is incredibly talented, but I don't think a show with me and Bernie Miklas would be a great show. Because uh, we do two different things. But when it didn't work out, as opposed to it really being on him, uh, I got blamed. And I had two, not two years, but a year and a half almost left on my contract. And so what they then tried to do was they tried to get me to quit so they wouldn't have to pay me. And I knew that's what they were doing. And so there was no way in hell they could get me to quit. There was just, I mean, that was never going to happen, ever. And so um, I wound up getting a job opportunity in New York. I was able to play a little more aggressively with my contract situation and uh, and because if I quit, then they could keep me off the air in St. Louis for a long time. So we worked it out, and I was able to leave. And uh, and little did they know that you know if they didn't, I was just going to go to New York uh, because that wouldn't impact any competition because uh, I had that offer. But once they were willing to work with me, then we had the option of putting the show together with me and the cat and Doug. And uh, that is how the morning after it was born. I only had to sit out 60 days, and so that's why it started in September of 2007. All of those details are facts. So the 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 ranking thing, while some might go, well, that's why he doesn't rank you guys. The, the ranking thing, the, the ranking thing might be accurate. I don't know. Maybe there really were 51 people, but Jason and I, since that all happened, have a good relationship. Had a good relationship, I guess. I guess he's blocking me on Twitter. We don't anymore. Um, and so I was simply asking who the 51 executives were, because I'm like, man, that's a hell of a panel, 51 radio executives. And then, then if you ask, you get blocked and then call the troll and that you're trying to drum up drama for your audience, which I have zero interest in. But that's what, that's what, so I don't know what to tell you. That's, that's the backstory on it. I, you know, I mean, at this point, who knows, maybe, it, I don't know. I, it's, it's the truth. I mean, it's, it's in the whole scheme of things, I, I'm like, why even talk about it? Because it's not like there's any, you know, semblance of upside and he can say whatever, you know, the behavior I think is, you know, like I said, if I would have worked, I don't know what I could compare it to that I've been involved in, but if somebody 
was saying something that I did that I know that I didn't do or saying that I didn't do something that I know that I did do, you know, my relationship with the audience is incredibly important. And I'll either say, listen, the question's a very fair one, but here's why I, I can't I can't explain it to you. And I don't blame you for it. But, but, I mean, if I just started blocking people who questioned it, you know, I mean, you know, when you're representing something as a credible source of, like, 51 people's research, you know, that's, I don't know. And then, then, then as opposed to saying, no, I understand people asking can't do it, you start blocking people and you start attacking me passive-aggressively. I don't know. But anyway, that's the backstory on it. So do with it what you want. Gangster Pete, uh, you just heard it. I just went on for about 15, 20 minutes about it. Uh, your reaction. I just think it's an odd reaction if everything's on the up and up. It's just weird. Yeah, I think that's a good concise. You're much better at this than I am because it's a good concise answer. Um, but I wanted to provide the backstory because, listen, I understand if like you're, I, I mean, I know you know me and Doug and the cat, and I know you know that you know we don't give a shit. Like, right. <laughs> but, but I also wouldn't blame somebody who doesn't know the three of us for going, oh, you guys are just making a big deal out of this, which, which is what Jason's trying to do because we weren't ranked. And part of the criteria that the 51 executives use are ratings. Well, we don't have ratings. Now, if you put our show on 101, we'd have ratings. Every, I think everybody in radio in St. Louis knows it because they know how the system works. Uh you know, just like if you put like the fast lane, which I believe does really, really well in the ratings on, you know, an AM radio station that doesn't have a big signal and doesn't subscribe to Nielsen, it wouldn't have ratings. So it's it works conversely, but it, it doesn't get talked about all that often, mainly because people don't give a shit. But now this thing happened. And so, you know, I, I, I'll tell you that here's the thing about this that, that surprised me is that how much it I don't want to say bothered Doug or the cat, but how it. Like I was kind of when it came up on the show, I was kind of doing the same thing I was doing when it came up here on the podcast. Like, do I really want to get into it? Because all because it's like, what upside is there? You know, I mean, it'd be one thing if I'm sitting here making shit up, um, but but I was surprised, and I guess I don't know what the right word for it is. Um, happy that it that it actually did bother Doug specifically. As much as it did. And again, bothered isn't the best use of the word, but that he wasn't just like, oh, who gives a shit? You know, I mean, you know, it's some, <laughs> and, it, and, that, and that really is what it gets down. But but Doug's issue is the same issue that I have, which is you're going to represent that this is what happened, that you said, listen to all of these shows in 100 markets, all 51 of you, and then you're going to whittle it down to 20 and then you're going to rank them based on this criteria. And then you ask who the 51 people are and then you just start getting blocked that 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 it it irritated Doug, and that's good because because for the most part we don't really ever talk about having any pride in the show, and it really isn't about having pride in the show so much as we just if if we see something that doesn't seem to add up, we we call it a we call it a ball or we call it a strike, and so I don't listen. I don't blame anybody who would say, well, you guys, you know, weren't ranked, so you must be pissed, and that's why you're. We've been ranked before, but at the time we thought it was. Just Jason ranking him, which is fine. He has every right to rank him however he wants. I guarantee you Jason Barrett listens to more sports talk radio than me, Doug, and the cat combined and put, you know, times 10. So he would know, but he says he doesn't vote. So I don't know. Either way, 
to answer your question, who would it have been <laughs> if he would have said no to Doug, which, of course, didn't happen because I was told the cat's getting fired and Bob Fesco's getting brought in. Uh, Pelican. Chris Pelican was uh, the other person. So, you know. Um, all right. I, I think I've gone like three, four hours with this, so I have to shut it down. I can't help myself. I, I, I'll New save record. the question. What's that? New record. It, it, it's got to be. Well, see, I have I have my house to myself right now. It's going to end at any moment. And so I feel like I've got to savor it because I don't have Jamison <laughs> running through here screaming. He's in screaming mode at this point. I don't know how. To, I was having a conversation with my wife last night uh, as we were going to bed. I said, I said, is he at a point where he can comprehend any form of discipline at 17 months? And she said, no. And I go, okay, so that means we just got to kind of deal with this at the time. Because I would love to begin the the because this this young cat is uh, anytime he doesn't get what he wants, he screams, and I have got to uh, I got to begin curtailing that. <laughs> so he's not screaming right now because he's not here. So I wanted to savor it. I thought I would be able to answer all the questions. Uh, I didn't even get to all the ones on the fan page, much less I don't think I got through half of them on the email. I don't know. I love doing questions from the audience. I love it. I don't feel like I, t- I, th- I think of the five people who talk on TMA right now, Gangster Pete. I think I talk the least. <laughs> well, yeah, this is, this is your chance to express yourself. This is my chance. This is my chance to actually talk. I think, how would you rank the words said on TMA <laughs> per show, per person, one through five? I'm, I just, I'm not going to go to 51 executives <laughs> for this. I'm just going to go to you. you go. You're there. You're hearing it. How would you rank it? And I'm <laughs> going to and I'm going to I'm going to do it. I'd say uh, Iggy, Plowhawk, and then tied for third. Oh wow! You, I feel like you almost took a little shot at your producing brethren right there. That's what I. I would say. Uh, it, I, I like I, when Iggy gets on a roll. I, think it's funny. <laughs> I would say it's Iggy, the cat. <sighs> it's a flip on if the Plowhawk is Banty that day or not. Right. Uh, for three and four, and then I think I'm five. So I have all these things I want to say, but I don't get a chance to say them. Um, and so this is where I, this is where I mean, I don't, I, how long did I talk? Fuck, you got the thing in front of you. Uh, it's a little over two hours. Oh my God. I've been talking for two hours interspersed in with a couple of commercials. <laughs> That's nuts. That's insane. I have, I have, a, I have some kind of issue. I have a, I have an, that I that I was able to do that is not a positive. So that, that that is that is well, but now I have young young <laughs> Jamie, Jamie yeah. involved. So <laughs> People I, are gonna be really upset if you call me that. I think <laughs> it's good. <laughs> then, then obviously now that means I got to do it. Um, yeah. So I mean, holy shit! And I'm and I'm looking outside and it's 81 degrees and it's beautiful and I've been in here talking to young Jamie. Uh, on the podcast, and and I just got done doing three hours of radio beforehand, and I worked out an hour before that. So I, I something is off with me, but that's that's what it is. I listen. I love questions from the audience. Getting the interviews and getting all of that executed—that's a that's a that's a process. Although I love it when we actually have the interviews. But the questions from the audience, I can sit. It's me. It's the microphone. It's young Jamie, and we go. <laughs> and it's it's something I enjoy. If you've lasted this long, I tip my cap. Um, I, Pete always asks me when we're done with these things, what would you like me to call it? I don't even know what the hell to call this one. We've, we've talked about so many damn things. It's just questions from the audience, and it's all over the map. Uh, I don't believe we got political too much. Nope. We didn't talk religion. We didn't talk sex. And yet we still went two hours. At least I think. Maybe we did, but it could have been 90 minutes ago, and I've forgotten at this point. Um, so and we talked about political coverage, I suppose, but it was more applied to local sports coverage. Either way, I've got to shut it down. 
who knows, maybe I'll do more than one of these a week and uh, try to just focus on one question and then just go and then not feel like I'm leaving things out, which is how I feel today. But I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sorry I didn't answer every question, but we'll save a lot of them to carry them over for the next questions from the audience. Thank you to Ryan Kelly for the sponsorship. The HomeLoanExpert.com studio sponsor, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Mike Judy of Mike Judy Presents, and Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, support the sponsors. Love those Landoffs. They're at Landoff.com, Highway 270, and the Washington Elizabeth exit. And don't forget, we now have our spring training giveaway package available for you as well so you can sign up for that at mattress direct all right thank you to young jamie slash gangster pete for sitting through two hours of me babbling this has been another edition of the tim mckernan show on the inside stl podcast network from the home loan expert.com studios